there was people one guy ate his parents back in the 70s or 60s he'd been ate down. his parents yeah he's a cannibal he actually got released in 2012. No way. Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't on death row. He was on death row. He was sentenced to life, but he outlived their life sentence. Like life sentence is not always life. It's 25 years. And they gave place. him parole. <laughs> yeah. He ate his yeah. parents and they gave him parole. Yeah, I was nice to Don't say guy. this isn't a country of second chances. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's going to do too well. cooking everybody if you are on youtube right now please hit that subscribe button hit that like button on the video and as always if you have a second would love to see you drop a comment down in the video comment section as well i said this last week and i'll say this again to everyone who has been sharing the links to these episodes with friends thank you so much it is not only huge for the algo it is huge for word of mouth even on apple and spotify I'm not just talking youtube everywhere it is absolutely great so i really really appreciate everyone who's been doing that and let's keep that rolling to everybody who is listening on apple or spotify right now thank you for checking out the show there if you haven't already be sure to follow on either one of those platforms and leave a five-star review if you have a second and i look forward to seeing you guys again for future episodes now i am joined in the bunker today by dan aka big dan thayer and if you saw the intro snippet if you're on youtube you can tell dan's a big dude he's like I don't know, 6'6", 6'7", 320, something like that. Big, big guy. The kind of guy that when I cross him in the street, I'm looking up at him like, oh, shit. But Dan's life is a giant comeback story against all odds. This is somebody who for years now has been a mentor to many other people. And for years before that, never should have statistically gotten to the position to be able to do that. This this is a guy who was deemed incorrigible by the Florida State Correctional System or whatever it is. Because he was in prison by the time he was 15. You're going to hear all about that. That's a whole nother story. I, somebody who I think was definitely very fucked over by the system. But he was in and out of prison for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. In and out of crime. All this different stuff. And drugs. All of it. And he took control of his life. Completely. And again, it was not... This is not the kind of guy who statistically is supposed to be able to do that given all of his circumstances that he was working against, but he found a way. And so we had a great conversation about the psychology that went into that over the years. He's a very funny guy, so he tells a lot of funny stories. He also tells a lot of real stories. You know, it's it's an ugly life when you're in crime. It's not – and drugs specifically, I should say. It's not – it's not something that anyone should ever want to be a part of. And so a lot of Dan's messages, here's exactly why you don't want to get involved with that stuff. And so I really, really appreciate the conversation. We had our buddy Mark in here who was actually the connector of making this thing happen, which I really appreciate. Even if he wouldn't shut up about his friend Megan the whole time, you should probably give the guy a call, Megan. He's going to kill me for saying that, but I should still say that. But anyway, it was great to, to finally actually get a chance to connect with Dan on the podcast. And once again, thank you to Mark for, for making it happen. And I hope all of you enjoy it. That said, you know what it is. I'm Julian Dory, and this is Trendfire. Let's go. This is one of the great questions in our culture. Where is the news? Everyone understands this, but few seem to do it. If you don't like the status quo, start asking questions. He's like walking by, he goes, sir, sir, 
can you tell me what your decision to be here is and what you think of the impending storm? Right. And the guy goes into like this full blown like biologist explanation, like right. straight out of like galaxy brain. Right, right. He's like, well, according to the winds from the north that say that we're going to be at approximately six knots per second, which is not right. very good for a storm like this. Right, right, right. And the dude holding the mic's like, what the fuck? <laughs> for like three minutes, he gives this thing and they go right back into a meteorologist. They, they go back to studio and they're like, that that was some of the smartest shit we've ever heard in our life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did that guy a job. Hope it was all right. Pull that. So this in. is okay here. Yeah, never yeah. farther than that. Yeah. Yep. That's I put okay here, by the way. And I gotta put these on or no? Yeah, put those yeah. on. Cause you'll oh, hear me. You'll okay. hear me in there. I was I trying I, to get it. I yeah. think I turned that down. How's that? That's good. Pretty good. Pork yeah. Beans, man. Pork Whoa, beans. Back, pork and beans. <laughs> <laughs> what's that, what's that most... a reference to? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. Frank and Beans. Frank and Beans. Frank and Beans. Frank and Beans. Touch my headphones. <laughs> 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 I remember watching that movie for the oh, first time. I spit over a whole family. I peed myself. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I was like, this is the funniest shit I've ever seen in my yeah. life. Well, <laughs> poor family in front of me. I spit my Diet Coke all over them. <laughs> <laughs> twice. Twice. What was the one thing where he's like, he's trying to get the nerves out, so he's jerking off in the bathroom, yeah. and then he comes out, he's like, where is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, moose. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, that was the God. part I spit on. I was like, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I couldn't hold it in. I just took a big sip. And she goes, Oh, look, moose. <laughs> and her head's like a peacock or something. Remember, she had it. She had it like standing up. Yeah, like, oh yeah. my god! <laughs> oh, I gotta go back and rewatch that. I movie. got embarrassed for the people in that. Like, you know what I mean? I felt the embarrassment of, like, I don't know. Just I could feel it. It transmitted to me. hysterical. And yeah. this, by the way, this thing right here, you can pull that up too. Okay. See that? Yeah. There you go. Now point. Keep it pointed at you. Like now, there you go. All right. That's cool. beautiful. Now I got you like real good in my ears right here. Nice. Big Dan, good. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you for coming down, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. All the way from Florida. Yeah. And where are you in Florida? Naples, southwest Naples. corner of Florida. That's like bougie area of Florida. That's yeah. like the place now. Yeah, way above my pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How long you been there? Uh, thirty-two years. Thirty-two years. Yeah. With a little pit stop on the way. Right? Yeah, yeah, a couple so, of them. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, something like them, that. Four of them. Well, our guy Mark here mm -hmm. made the introduction, and I. For people listening out there, I got to speak with you on, I guess, like Zoom, like a month ago or something. Yeah. And I always say this. I try to make these conversations short when we do it because right. I like to just do it live in here. But once in a while, it's usually like one out of three. Somebody starts going and I'm like, oh, this is too good. Mm -hmm. But I was listening to tell some of these stories and I'm like, God damn, people are going to eat this up. It's a wild, wild life you've had, man. Yeah, a little bit. I didn't experience much of it. <laughs> what do you mean you didn't experience much of it? <laughs> I kind of stayed... Uh... I just didn't experience it. I was there. I got the documentation. I got the, I live. I was there, but I lived in my head. So it was a pretty, like some people feel almost sorry for me. I was like, yeah, my life wasn't that bad. Yours, yours was rough, you know, being out here dealing with people and stuff like that. It was a really? weird, yeah, weird perspective. I didn't start experiencing life till uh, maybe 38, 39. And is I'm that when you, is that when that was like shortly after you got out of prison, right? Uh, I got out in 08 out of my last bid and that was on um that was in uh Florida, the Florida State Prison, uh Rayford, they call it death row. I got out of there in 08 and I had been practicing some things, some different ways of living and um 
this guy was writing me and, and giving me books to read. And I started looking at things differently. Who, who was doing that? This was a guy I met. He was from uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. And, um, and uh, I met him in Fort Myers, Florida. You know, a friend of mine that was, uh, he actually escaped from, uh, he escaped from Rawway. <laughs> and, and he was, you know, doing good for a short period of time. And I had called him for uh, some help with uh, something, you know, pretty dark, you know. And, and so when I called him, he goes, yeah, I'm going to bring you up here to Fort Myers. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, you know, I'm okay down here. Just, you know, uh, do what I ask. And that's it. Mm. So he ends up like kind of tricking me into going up to this place up there and getting my head together and uh, introduces me to this guy who I thought was a clown. You know what I mean? But the guy was like really smart. Not that I was any brainiac, but we had a certain percentile that we hung out with mm. that there was uh, just no room for joking. Got it. Yeah. So, so, and when I met this guy, he kept saying things. They were like slick, and I didn't know if he was being slick or yeah, yeah. And, and uh, but they were hitting me. They were like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but they were talking to my inside. Mm. Yeah, things I haven't brought up or talked about in years. And um, so anyway, we got we got pretty close. Uh, I ended up living with the guy for six months after he got out. Him and his wife out of after I got out of this little you know place here. I um. I was living with him for like six months and he kept almost getting, I almost like wanted to choke him out a couple of times because he would say things that there were, there were truth and I couldn't debate it, mm. but they were hard truths, you know? And uh, you need that though. You need that. But I've never had that. Like mm. nobody's brought that type. Well, they tried, they tried to bring that kind of truth up. Um, things that were evident that I should have just surrendered to. I would just make it to where you never said it again. You know mm. what I mean? And it was a weird like defense mechanism I had that I couldn't let you in. And if you n knew the real truth about me, well, I just made sure you never brought it up again. You know what I mean? And it was all uh, confusing because I, I made it confusing. I used drugs on top of it. I didn't really know what it was growing up. Mm. I obsessed about things. I blocked out everything except for what I was obsessing about and I would achieve it. But it never never seemed to be what I was really wanting. It never brought me any satisfaction. I really want to dig into this. Mm -hmm. And you and I actually did talk about this a little bit when we were on our call. And I think that's like when, when people are listening to stories of other individuals, regardless of where they come from, I think a lot of us have an, an innate interest in the psychological journey. Yeah. that goes on mm -hmm. because it's it's different for everyone yeah. and and there's everyone has their weaknesses everyone has their strengths and some people they lean into their weaknesses for long periods of time and they don't even know they have the strengths and sometimes there's people who are incredibly ahead of their years and they lean into all their strengths and they right. wash away their weaknesses and i'm curious about what makes people fork in the road on different things and to me you know one of my favorite things is i, I love a comeback story yeah. And like yeah. your life is a giant comeback story. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that yeah. is very much at the middle of it. Like how right. you, when you were talking about like getting in touch with your own thoughts and understanding right. exactly like 
oh, this is why I think this way, or, oh, wait, I shouldn't have done it like that. Yeah, when you know, it started clicking. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so there's clarity that comes from certain things, like not using drugs and stuff like that. But before we go to that, mm-hmm. like, let's let's go through your journey here. All like, right. you, you got a story. Sure. Let's start at the beginning. All right. Where All were right. you born? In, uh, well, I was born in New Jersey, you know, and I, and I moved from, uh, my dad was a chemist, so we, you know, always lived close to plants. We started out in Camden. Moved to Newark, Essex County, Bloomfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and my cousins used to say a weird thing when they came to our house. They'd say, we used to love going to your house because they were in Livingston, which is a very nice, you know, yeah. compared to where I was at. Yeah. He goes, we always felt like we were doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like mischievous or something, you know. So I grew up in... Uh, I grew up mostly in Newark and in Bloomfield, East Orange, West Orange. I was always, I had a friend that we, you know, we'd be on bikes constantly. And um, my father worked pretty hard. My mother had a place up in Montclair. Uh, That's a nice neighborhood. Oh, yeah, Church Street. She had a gourmet pantry. Uh, she started really Sounds good very Montclair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember I made a, a peanut butter and caviar sandwich, and she made me eat it. I a, thought it was jelly. <laughs> peanut butter and caviar. caviar. Yeah, a little packet of caviar, you know, like $55, whatever it was at the time. That sounds worse than yeah, prison Yeah, she told food. me to eat something, so I went in there and made a peanut butter and caviar thinking it was jelly, you know. Hmm. And uh, she goes, yeah, you're going to eat that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a very expensive sandwich. And... um that was after driving all the way up Bloomfield Avenue to go up there on my bike, you know. And, uh, you know, just the the thing about living there is there was nonstop chaos always, you know. And, and so I never had a time to process. It was always react, react, react. When you say chaos? Uh, like people stealing the car, breaking mm-hmm. in the house. Um, you know, there was always something. Uh, fights out in the street. Um you know, but my my father, who was uh, he was a Golden Gloves boxer and he, you know pretty well known. He always handled things, mm-hmm. and up until about eighty one, um, you know he's pretty good at keeping the house uh, you know safe and secure. But I uh, remember in eighty one, he, he they blew up the plant blew up down in Newark, Quality Varnish. It was a big explosion. Well, I didn't know about this. Yeah, yeah. I actually looked it up. It, it's on the. Go, I'm not the most technologically advanced person. Check it out. What's it called? Uh, quality varnish. Well, and it was this, this was in '81. What? '81 or '83? It's a little. I think it was '81, but I'm pretty sure. If you look up uh, early '80s, um, quality varnish. So what? What happened? So they were making these. They had these huge vats, and I would go to work with my father all the time. Uh, and he ran the place. You know, all his guys were very loyal to him. And uh, I, they sent in the wrong chemicals, and a reaction started, and the whole place blew up. My dad got sent into a wall. He was in a coma for eight months. He uh, lived. He lived. Lived yeah. through the explosion. Yeah, he lived through the explosion. But his good friend, who was like an uncle to me, a guy named Jerome, he died. And uh, when my dad came out of the coma, you know, they all got settlements. And he went from like a functioning, you know, drinker, you know, pretty responsible guy to burned head to toe his tattoo was off his arm like that kind of burns looked weak and decrepit and, and they I re- were i just have the i'm sorry i have the article behind you now yeah. in the new york times I was just yeah. pulling it up while you were talking yeah. so it was only jerome and your dad who were in it yeah your dad yeah. was hurt and jerome was killed yeah 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 wow. that's on there 
Yeah, because it, say, cause it says whole. one killed, one hurt. Yeah. So it sounds yeah. like there's only two people. They right. They're the only two there. And the 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 part that uh, was really messed up is Jerome got out and went back in and got my dad out because he was like a loyal, good friend of his, you know. And uh, and my father just, when he came out of that, he was pretty, pretty. Uh, they had a party in the burn unit in, uh, I forget what hospital it was, but they, the nurses came in there when he just came out of a coma after eight months. They got a keg in the corner, <laughs> bottles of Jack Daniels, and they're all like, you know, trying to, you know, get back to uh, business as usual. But my father was really messed up over that, and um, it and it changed him, you know. And was it, he ever normal again, like physically and everything? Oh or? yeah, no, he's yeah, it's crazy. He, he he's almost died. Like he's been run over by a truck. Uh, he was left for dead. <laughs> the guy just keeps coming back. In got fact, nine it, lives. Yeah, about about. About seven years ago, they wanted me to sign a paper saying, you know, let him die. Oh, uh, the DNR. There's no chance. Yeah, yeah. And I said, <laughs> just act like he's going to live. And he did. He's fine now. He's got, you know, a bunch of years of doing good. Wow. Right, he's still, you know, he face plants every now and then, but he's he's good. He's a tough guy. Um, but yeah, so we, when they had that party, um, that was the beginning of the downfall between him and my mother and mm. things got really chaotic now because he came home weak and i was like i gotta be the man and how old are you i was uh see eight about eight years old jesus yeah yeah i remember trying to buy a, a pistol from uh at eight yeah you when, tried to buy a pistol at eight years yeah, old. yeah from a uh from a crackhead you know in my neighborhood i was like dude i need you to get me a gun he's, he's trying to rip. yeah i gotta be the man you know if somebody comes in the house now i'm a captain you know i was i was all screwed up but i i really had this pressure on me to um you know do things that i didn't even know how to do but i knew i was gonna do them you know look out for my family and and you know told my dad you know if he was gonna make it but it didn't look good he was, yeah, he like was a, gone for eight <laughs> no months. And, yeah, yeah the, like the weakest I ever seen him, and he's always been about six two two twenty. You know, I I went and got bigger than him, but he had strong hands. And um, before he got sober again this last time down in Florida, I think it was like eight cops on him before they asked him, "Can you just calm down?" <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Why didn't you just ask me that?" He was slinging him around. <laughs> he's what, like what a New Jersey guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Through and through. yeah. Yeah, he used to. I was telling Mark on the way over here when I seen the Atlantic City. He rode limos when the chemistry was, you know, when it was down or whatever. They didn't have a job, so he would drive limos for this company out of Booton. He's a good friend of ours and a uh, good family. And they would say, uh, "Don't drink and drive. We'll do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> we're professionals. We know what we're doing." And that's what the job was. So I would yeah, that, might make, that might make me think twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, back then it was like, yeah, yeah, these guys know what they're doing. They're really good. They got no history of accidents or, you know. So, yeah, it was a little crazy. But. They're giving limos down in AC now for like 10 bucks outside. Wow. I swear to God. Wow. My buddy got one like three, four months ago. We played it on this podcast, too, because he was on right after. Right. But he was like, oh, we're going to go to the club. And we're like, no, nah, we're going to stay here. And then I go outside and he's got like a... I don't know, one Stretch, of those, like, yeah. six-door limos right. pulling them out. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, Jesus Christ, like, you're just coming to the club. Right. And then he's like, dude, it costs 10 bucks. <laughs> what like, is that? Oh. I'm like, damn, times are getting hard in Atlantic yeah, City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy was, shit. It was rough back then, but only when you walked off the the boards, you know what I mean? Like, once you got off a certain area, you would get mugged. Or, yeah, yeah, it's it's still not, certainly not the... 
it's not a place without sketchy areas. Yeah, let's put it yeah, that way. Yeah, for sure. Still remains. Yeah, you could be two seconds and you're in a you're in a bad predicament. You know. But your your dad and your mom got divorced after and, this whole thing. Yeah, it took a few years. Yeah, my grandfather had passed. Uh, he took his last drink in front of me and kind of face planted in some eggplant parm and uh, they moved me you know, around to that family in Booton and then my cousins in Morristown, or in uh, Livingston. What family in Booton? I had somebody come up to me this past weekend who shall remain nameless and asked me with a straight face if they thought Eight Sleep was as good as Sleep Number. That was, that was tough to hear that question. It was, it was very difficult. I, I had to re-educate them. We'll leave it at that. They They walked away knowing full well the the error in their ways and, and even comparing those two. But you all know why I love 8sleep. 8sleep is the first real, legit, actual tech company to try sleep instead of sleep trump companies. Chumpanies. I almost called them chumpanies. That would have been good, though. Sleep companies trying tech. It's because 8sleep's proprietary technology wires directly into their 8sleep Pod Pro cover, which is what I use. It comes in queen and king sizes so that throughout the night, your sleep stages are optimized around you using all kinds of scientific stuff like your body temperature, your heartbeat, your heart rate, all that stuff that I don't really know about. But what I do know is that when you wake up in the morning after sleeping six hours, you will feel like you slept eight. So if you use the link in my description, along with the code Trendifier at checkout, that's very, very important. You will see a box that says promo code or some shit like that. You got to type in Trendifier, T-R-E-N-D-I-F-I-E-R. If you use that link along with that code at checkout, you will get $150 off your own 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover today, and you'll sleep just as well as I do. And by the way, if you want a full mattress, you can get the same product. It's an actual mattress, though, as well. Called the Eight Sleep Pod Pro Mattress. Same thing, $150 off using the code. You're going to love it. Uh, there, there's the family that grew up with us. They were real close to my pop. Um, you, like their names, you mean? No, no, no. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I just wasn't sure if that was like uh, someone you were related to. No, they all played guitar together. They were just real close. They were like, like brothers and sisters. So you lived with them? For a little bit, yeah, while they were figuring out what they were doing. Uh, my dad kept getting kicked out of the house, you know. My mom was getting fed up, Got and uh, yeah, so finally she, you know, ended it, sold the house, and we moved down to, we were moving to Clearwater, Florida, and then she picked Naples off the map. We ended up in Naples for the last 32 years, yeah. And so how old were you when you went down there? I was about 14, 15, and um, I had like, I think a year of middle school, which is eighth grade, and then, uh, and then I went into ninth grade. And the education was way behind. Like, so the, the book work was almost boring. In Florida. In Florida, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty. And, Fucking uh, Florida, man. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy how far behind I was like, this is really easy. Um, and the teachers were serious where I was from in Jersey. Like, they would come snatch you up if you cut school. Like, I used to be terrified of the truant officers. They would mm. come. They'd find me. I'd, like, hide in a, you know, those salt barrels where they put out the salt they had these big barrels on the second floor in a storage room i'd hide when they were coming to they not still go to school. <laughs> yeah i hated school yeah they uh yeah i didn't like it it was it was always hot and when they put the heaters on it <laughs> and i was going through That's a, a first yeah. why didn't you like school with the heaters man yeah the heaters were killing me and um uh, i was going through like amazing growth spurts and i was tired like and i don't think never nobody caught that 
that like mm. I was getting like real big real quick. And uh, my mother used to take in every, you know, stray sad story and uh, feed them all the same as me. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, I'm hungry. And I didn't want to say nothing. So I would, you know, I got a job from, from these guys that were, uh, you know, connected in a rubbish removal company. And huh. yeah, yeah, they gave me a good Barone job. sanitation? Yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> rubbish removal, they called it. And it was very, you know, it was very nice. Uh, yeah, quick story about that. I, I got a job making 60 bucks a day cash in the summer. I think I was 11. You know, at 11. Yeah, at 11. Cause a I, lot of money back then. Yeah, I wanted to have money in my pocket to get the extra things because I didn't want to say nothing to my mom. Like, hey, you're feeding all these. They were, they were people down on their luck and stuff. So That's I pretty cool, it, though, that your mom did that. She, yeah, she was a sweetheart. She pulled people in. I mean, she helped a lot. Of, all of them were there when she was dying. Uh, they all came down from no New shit. Jersey. Yeah, very good people. Like half sisters, half brothers, a bunch of them over time. Where, where would she find them? Like, well, they'd be like my sister's people. friends, or my old, mm. I had an oldest sister that was, uh, they'd be like her friends, um, you know, just people in the neighborhood, you know, if they seen them abused or anything like that. Mm. My mom, for some reason, she was like a magnet for that. She gave away pretty much everything. <laughs> she never tried to make uh, money, but then she'd say, I need to make money. But, right. but she'd give it all away. But um, I remember uh, the, them giving me that job, and I'm making six. The first day I got there, he goes, I'm going to give you 60 bucks a day cash, and I'm going to buy you lunch. I was like, all right, cool. You know, that sounds good. So we stopped at JJ's in Newark, and I ordered like 20 cheese dogs, 20, <laughs> 20 hot onions and mustard, 20 chili dogs, a bag of chips, uh, RC Cola. <laughs> and the next day I come in, he goes, I'm going to give you 100 bucks a day of cash, and you buy your own damn lunch. You know? <laughs> and uh, so I was like, wow, I must have did really good yesterday, you know? It never, I never caught the... the didn't register. Yeah, it didn't register. I always thought everybody was like, man, you, you know, people treat me really good. And what kinds of things were you doing for them? Uh, I would pick up furnaces from them, like I was strong, like, yeah, and I would pick clearly. up these big uh, cast iron pieces of furnaces in the in the basements and whatever rubbish you had, I would throw it on this truck. We'd go to the Meadowlands and dump it, and I'd ride in the back of this truck on top of the load. Mm. Yeah, it was cool. Like I really, I really enjoyed it. You know what I mean? And uh, and, and what family was this? Genovese, Gambino, uh, no, 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 Lucchese, nothing, nothing like that. Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I uh, should put their name out there. I don't no, know. I told I'm, Mark. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, kidding. good people though for me. But I started noticing I was picking up on things, you know, and that, that later in Florida <clears throat> caused me a lot of problems. The way they handled stuff and the way they did stuff, there was a you ain't got no choice. This is what we're doing. And I didn't notice it till one day I was in Summit, New Jersey. We were doing a removal, and uh, I go in to buy a tuna fish sandwich, and they charge me like eighteen bucks or something like that for a tuna fish sandwich. Sounds about right for Summit. Summit, yeah. So my boss goes, uh, he goes, uh, he goes in there. He takes the sub and he slams it in their face, and he's like. Um, how are you going to charge this kid $18 for a can of tuna? <laughs> he starts going off and flipping out, and, he's, and he starts taking stuff and giving it to me. Here, you can have this. You can have this. <laughs> Give him his money back. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool, you know? He, he uh, straightened that. I didn't have a problem with it. I wanted the tuna fish sandwich. I kind of mad <laughs> through it. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. He's got, like, some 
you know, like that's all you got to do is just go in and start throwing stuff. I picked up on these things. It wasn't and you're until, like 11, 12 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I didn't know this at the time because I was 11 or 12, not developed. I'm picking these things up. And then when, later when they came out, I'm like, where did that come from? Oh, yeah, that works. You know, and I started becoming like a goon almost, you know, and uh, just doing whatever I wanted. And when there was an opposition, uh, I did like him. I just went off, you know. It was it was, uh, it was was crazy. It's almost like being taken over, hijacked in the brain by your thoughts mm. until you take time to process them and see where they came from. That's where I learned all that stuff. It was when, later on in life. When I started realizing I'm not living, I'm kind of existing and reacting. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's all I do. I don't, and then I'm obsessing when I'm not doing that. So I'm not taking any time to give myself, and your worth gets diminished. The more you shut it down, the more you don't listen, like you're giving somebody else attention, but you're not giving yourself any attention. Your worth goes down. And but you all, don't realize it. Yeah. Too. And it's almost to the point where you don't care if you, you know, everything loses meaning eventually. And apathy is a horrible um, existence, like total apathy. That's yeah. the word. Yeah. That's that's the perfect word. Yeah. And that, that's a good way to for me to try to describe this and, and ask the question I have here. But like I'm very obsessed with environments mm-hmm. and how they shape us throughout life. Right. But especially when you're growing up. Right. You know, why is there more crime in places that have less money, for example? That's right. a broad one. Right. It's kind of obvious. People got to survive, right? Yeah. And they, yeah. they turn to whatever they can to do it. Right. And so there's a huge part of me that understands that. But when you're – wherever your environment is, when you're in a, a rougher type of place where people, especially adults, handle things in rough ways, when you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, you know, your brain's firing all over the place. Right. You got all the you, – you're going through your growth spurts. Your hormones are, are coming out and everything. You're earning money for the first time in some cases if right. you're working young. And you're you're looking around to people to look up to. And so when you do this and you see, even if it doesn't register, it's just my thought here, when you see the apathy on their face, mm-hmm. like that guy goes in there, yeah. he's like, give this kid a fucking tuna fish sandwich for yeah. $2, not 18 And right. you know what? We're going to take the rest of the store. Right. You're like, oh, yeah. okay. I guess, that's, I guess that's what we do. It's a lot better deal. Yeah. So th- then fast forward 15 yeah. years later, which I guess is what you're getting at. Yeah. Someone does something like that, whatever the parallel in the world is, or something not even parallel, something simple. Right. You're like, oh. I'm going to straighten this out. Right. You know, it, it's like it gets the apathy gets trained in you because apathy is a way of not feeling anything. It's yeah. just like, huh, okay. That's literally, I think that's like the definition. Yeah. You know, so it's it's curious to me that that's the word you chose there, but I, I think it's I think it's very telling. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It gives you a, a, a position of power too. Like it mm. got, apathy got to the point where I don't care if you die, I die. We're, we're, this is happening. And um, that didn't happen right away. But like I said, you whittle away at your worth over time. You keep getting told by the state or the government or whatever, you know, because you're doing wrong things. But you're yeah. getting told this underlying thing that you're getting a life sentence. You're not you're not going to make it, you know. And um, that happened to me in uh, in the first that first year I had in high school. I get down there. I To Florida. Yeah, I did really good in sports, you know, sports I excelled in was getting looked at by schools and at the end of the year i had just won everything there was to win in wrestling and and you know and my coach goes we're not going to have a team next year i said coach i'm a freshman i'm varsity wrestling i'm varsity football 
So I got three more years. He goes, you'll be in prison next summer, next year. And I was the coach like, said, that. yeah, yeah. Now I thought he was like, I was like, I laughed it off. I was like, what? I never even did a chart. You know, I never did a crime. And, uh, and it was just funny to me, but the, at the end of the summer I was in prison <laughs> and I was like, wow, that guy was like a prophet at 15. at 15. Yeah. I got sentenced as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? Uh, I'd like to say it was a misunderstanding, but <laughs> the judge, when I, you know, I told the truth. My uncle was a, a lawyer up here, a big lawyer, and uh, his partner still has a practice in Newark, and they had two in New York. And um, when he passed, he was like, you know, um, attorney general or or whatever. He was really high up there. He's doing these ironclad indictments overseas for mm. for drug cartels and stuff. So he, once he wrote these up they had him do that he was like a specialist at it. oh so he ended up working with the government i believe so yeah at the yeah. end there he's yeah they um it was unexpected death at uh saint barnabas but um the the, the i talked to him because he you know he knew this stuff and he goes yeah just tell him the truth you know this guy started it and well and, what happened well i had been loitering and prowling what they call in florida is when you're walking through a, a business area or something. And uh, so I left the girl's house kind of late. I didn't want to get her in trouble, so I didn't say what I was doing. I just said, I'm going home. My house is over there. I, I used to get lost in Naples because the same road is like five different places. And so I'm walking the, you know, the beeline right to my house. And uh, I go behind these businesses and uh, these cops roll up on me. And uh, he's like, uh, you're loitering and prowling. I said, I'm walking home. I said, I don't, I don't know what that is, loitering and prowling. But prowling? I've never heard this one. Yeah, it's something they make up to. Sounds Florida. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very, it was very redneckish when I was there. And, uh, and, and it took me a while to, I used to say, I hate Florida. I'm from Jersey. But I hated, you know, I didn't hate Jersey, but I hated my environment. It was rough. You know what I mean? And um, I love the people, you know, and mm. this is what I come to find over the time is I loved connections with people and i would have never known that or admitted that when i was growing up but i had some strong good people in my life always somewhere i always had these solid good people tons like, of people like around, who but, besides your mom uh well my mom wasn't one of them she was always my uh cheerleader defender like you know uh but but i would never i never opened up to her but i had friends from east orange and newark and that were just tight. They had went through hard times. A lot of them, their parents, one parent would die. Something would happen to them. And I clicked with these people. Mm. And then even when I got to Florida, I clicked with a certain type of people that was just looking to live not so rigid, you know? Mm. Nobody tells you what to do, that type of thing. And I, and I bonded with people like that, you know? And some of them were really good people. I don't, uh, I wouldn't, you know, name them or nothing, but good people and uh, stand-up people, people that wouldn't snitch if they were facing a hundred years, that type of, mm. yeah. And um, you know, you're not all of them. Some of them betrayed and and did what they did. But uh, so I lost uh, a little bit of my point when I was going there. We were starting on. You were pulled over for loitering. Oh yeah, and so prowling. I'm walking behind this building. Yeah, it's a business. And I said, I don't know what loitering and prowling is. I'm walking home, and I tried to walk away. You know, and there might have been a few more words, but I was pretty much like, dude, get out of my face. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, not what a 15-year-old should have said to an authority. 
you know, but I really thought he was out of place, even running up on me like that. I never done nothing wrong, you know, that I got caught for. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just kid stuff, you know. And uh, so I'm, I try to walk away, and he, he grabs the back of my shirt and, like, yanks me back. And he's like, you don't go nowhere. And t-. But when he did that, I just spun around and hit him in the jaw. Oh, you whacked the cop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I spontaneously combusted i guess yeah he get knocked out ah uh, broke his jaw i had to pay for his hospital bills yeah oh, it was Jesus. not good yeah i now, was, there was 15 another but i was there, right? six four six five 315 pounds yeah they all jumped on me they beat me up they broke a tooth yeah or two i forget but not then but right then i hit the guy and i ran i went home <laughs> and then i showed up in my house and i was like uh-oh you know i'm in trouble and uh my mother was just like you know, she was showing up to court, you know, I had grounds. But at that time, when I look back on it now, every single parent with a kid, they didn't want that in Naples, Florida. Mm. They were really not helpful. You know what I mean? The whole thing was set up to get you out of there, you know, and not be there. And uh, yeah, so I, it wasn't like a, because you came from at least like some pretty rough neighborhoods. Yeah. Up, yeah. up north. But yeah. Naples is never really. No, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Very nice. But they. But the cops are like gangsters, you know what I mean? The cops at that time were on the take for, you know, they were just, uh, they were well taken care of to keep their community the way it is. Got it. Yeah. And and I wasn't the best, uh, you know, I had a lot of entitlement, I guess, to like the same rights as you. But for them, that was disrespect and stuff like that. It was... It's also profile too. Profile. You're a six yeah. four, two hundred some pound, fifteen right. year old from Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. We yeah. don't like your kind down nah, here. Nah, no, we know? don't want you around. Yeah. And then you knock a cop out. Yeah, that was not good. And then when I got to prison because I had um they sent me to prison. They sent you to prison for that. Yeah. As an With adult. adults? Yeah. They sent me as a fifteen. At fifteen they sentenced me as an adult. How long? Uh five and a half years. Five and a half years at yeah. fifteen in, yeah. in state yeah. prison. Yeah. And my mother was like uh, crying, you know, yeah, terrible. Yeah. And she was in the background when I was taking the sentence. And, uh, you know, the judge, I said, Your Honor, I said, five and a half years for a fight. And they go, uh, and the the judge says, uh, yeah, good luck, son. And I said, yeah, thanks, Dad. I, I like, you know, I was so blown away that I was like, is this even real? You know? And uh, how do you even process that? I mean, I, like, I can't imagine processing that at like. 40 or 50 or 20 something like that but 15 yeah yeah it was it was i tell you it was it's kind of like camp for me though like when i went there <laughs> yeah it kind of lined up with my i kind of seemed cool you know what i mean there was another kid in the jail that was same thing as me his father died in the bronx his mom moved him down and we clicked and we met up in the county jail and i just got sentenced he wrote me like you know i felt like and when I came out too, I, I felt like kind of like uh, cool. Yeah, it was mm. weird. And and uh, now I wouldn't, you know, now I wouldn't. But I did. I, I remember at the time feeling like hey, everybody thinks I'm pretty cool. Yeah, it's yeah. like you're hard. And, yeah. And at that age, right? I can see exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and at and at that age too, like like a year later, I was in there. I got a nurse as a girlfriend. So I had like everything. In the prison. Yeah, yeah. She well, I met this. This guy, he smashed the tip of my finger. I smashed the tip of the finger off. He laughed at me. And I was growing habaneros 
So I, I bashed his eye, cut it open, and shoved the habaneros in it because he <laughs> laughed at me. You know what I mean? And so I went to the nurse every day, and they would give me sponge baths because they were worried because I was still a minor, but as an adult, they're worried about me, you know, getting infected because the bone was showing. I took mm. two of these cinderlid blocks, and I was all into my garden. I had a horticulture class I was taking. I you like, were growing a garden? In yeah, the I was growing a garden, yeah. yeah. And, I was, and at the same time, I was collecting for these other guys that couldn't collect. Is this like an indoor? Outdoor. Kind of like, it's outdoor, oh, but you the had outdoor. prison's real big. Yeah, you had like a, a field of grass. You were allowed to work on a little patch. It's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something. All right. I'll tell you, there, I got more vocationals that I can count. Not None of them that did me any good. But what it did was it distracted me. Like jails and prisons were made for you to sit with yourself yeah and it sounds like a good idea let's educate him i got my ged you know i got like a perfect score i got my little hat on i took a picture i sent it to my mom she still got it she had it on the wall you know it, it, you know they don't they use a background like so you don't look like you're in prison and uh and you would think all these are good things like reform but the problem is it's just like when you see people on the out here in the world you give them education, you give them ability to make money, but inside they're not whole and they cause like right. mass destruction. Like I, I know kids that tap into resources that they shouldn't have and they get themselves in those elements where you can get your legs broke and they have no idea why they're in those elements. And it's because of their ability to tap into things. I came from a position of not able to tap into nothing. So immediately I started collecting in prison for other people and I would collect and I would get paid for that. What do you mean collect? Uh, so if a guy was doing drugs, I never did drugs at this point. And, um, you know, and they didn't pay, which happens sometimes, you know, I would, I would go collect it and, uh, and I would get it to the guy and the guy would look out for me. Now I like doing my little class because I wasn't obsessing. I didn't know this at the time, but I was getting freedom from, uh, that constant agitation in my brain. Mm. Like, uh, which I later identified as obsession, but at the time nobody's telling me nothing. Anybody that comes with a solution, I bat them down because uh, I feel like they know too much, you know, and I didn't mm. like that. So too familiar, you know what I mean? So I did my little garden thing, but when that kid exposed me and he's like, because I mulched two things together and I was pretty proud of it and I said something, the kid made fun of me. That's the kid I split his eye. And this is that apathy coming in. Yeah. Like, this is what you yeah. do. Someone makes fun of you. Okay, I'm going to beat the fuck out of you. Yeah. Just stand there. And then know? I go back to my plant. You know what I mean? And so, But he never said it again. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'll bet he didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He had to deal with that, you know? You put it's, a habanero in his eye, too? I split them, and then I shoved the habaneros in there. And they were hot. They were fresh. Nice touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew. But see, the hurt I gave him was the hurt I was feeling. Mm. Yeah, it sounds crazy, but I was this, uh, I guess you would call it like uh, hypersensitive. I, they, it, this one literature I read that I learned a lot from uh, talked about hypersensitivity. I was like, oh, I don't feel anything. And that's not the truth. I learned to kill the expression of those feelings and not be seen for those feelings, but I was still ruled by them. So I would just smash something. You know, they, that kicks in the fight or flight. Mine was um, apathy for, I don't care if I die. This, I will not feel this. And that grew into something really, uh, really dangerous. Yeah, almost out of my, well, out of my control a bunch of times, yeah. 
It's kind of like, though, it, you've heard expressions like this before, probably from usually like in gangster culture or something like that. Right. But when you get into the system so young, yeah. that's your college. Yeah. You go yeah. to college there. Yeah. You yeah. Went, Now you got, you ironically also got your GED there and everything. But right. in, in reality, you're in a state prison with a bunch of hardened criminals right. at 15. Right. You shouldn't have done what you did, but I mean, you turned around and punched a guy. It, yeah. This wasn't. There's a reaction, whatever. This isn't like the fact that the judge looked at you and said it that way, the way you described it, like, best of luck to you, son, or whatever. Yeah. I, I really struggle with that kind of thing because even though sentencing and things like that in the criminal system, it's always going to be so weird. Like the concept of like someone has to complete a amount of time in like right. another place where right. they're not allowed to leave. It's so bizarre. But I think about the humanity of it that's missing sometimes. Like, you have a 15-year-old in front of you. Mm-hmm. All right? Your balls apparently had dropped because yeah. you were leaving the chick's house. Yeah, but barely. Yeah, 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 right? Like, yeah. they dropped a couple years ago. Right, and you were right. probably earlier than most people. Right. There's all these things going on in your head. Right. You have no criminal history. Right. And the judge looks at you and goes, yeah, five years. Yeah. That, to me, I, I understand that in the courts and in the legal system, there has to be a ton of objectivity. It's what they teach, apparently. I yeah. don't know. I didn't yeah. go there. But that's that's what I hear they teach right. in, in law school. I, I get that. But there's still a human element, mm-hmm. you know? And so he sends you, good luck, son, to a college that's not of your choice. Right. And while you're going through the rest of your developmental phase, you're doing it around all these other bad people. And then you you learn to... You learn to react. I think that's. I think you said react instead of respond, which I like. Mm-hmm. You learn to react to the impeti, impetuses around you right. by shielding all this stuff such that, you know, instead of being like, hey, I don't like that that person made fun of me and dealing with that and then trying to talk it out with them. I mean, right. we're talking like five-year-olds right now. Right. But this yeah, this yeah. is the idea. You don't, yeah. you don't learn this. Right. You're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash your face real quick. Right. Oh. I don't feel that anymore. We're good. Yeah. And that's because of where you are. You might not, even though you might have had some some proclivities towards being more physical with people because of your jobs when you were 10, 11 and the guys you saw, you may have very well not developed that if you had had a chance to just be a normal kid, take it out on the football field. Right. You know? Yeah. Like that's, that doesn't sit right with me that that happened to you. Yeah, it's it. I'm not like uh, I might have been a victim at that point, but I carried that not knowing it and the resentment towards the police and, you know, any authority. But uh, but I learned pretty quickly that you're a volunteer after a certain period of time. What do you mean by that? Like if I re-sign up to that, which I did, and that's what caused me, you know, to go to prison three more three more times. Um, I, I had a I was coming from a victim mentality almost you know like i was done wrong you know what i mean and i did do something wrong like so and then i definitely reinforced that with drug use and and legitimately doing some bad things you know um but i learned that i was volunteering for that Mm. because i didn't look at i still didn't take time to process it wasn't until i got on death row and it wasn't because i murdered anybody or nothing i was just deemed incorrigible by florida (laughs) And yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. So it wasn't until then that I started reflecting and giving myself an opportunity. I, I all of a sudden I realized I need to get some kind of connection with myself. I, I have no idea who I am, what I'm doing, and I don't want to be in here for life. Uh, there's only, you know, 
it's just not a life. Were you, were you thinking that at all? I don't want to be in here again when you were 18, 19, 20? No. Nah. Ready to get out? No, I was, those were my most impressionable years. So what I left with 15, when I went to go in there, it was stuck in my head for a long time. What was great, you know, and I relived that. Like I got all that stuff and I'm like, this ain't really it. You know, what I thought at 15, I kind of held on to the ideas I had at that time at my most impressionable time, like getting the, getting with the nurse, uh, getting stuff brought in. Um, every time I did something like dangerous or, or illegal, I was in the moment and I didn't know that that's what I liked. That's what I liked. I liked the hyper awareness of being in the moment mm. where, cause I lived in my head, everything else. So even, even when you were like in prison and you're going around and, and you're collecting money and stuff like right. that, it gives you a purpose and you, you kind of know like, all right, we're not supposed to be doing this, but I'm the guy that gets to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Even, yeah. Stuff like that. That was kind of condoned. I'm talking more like the paying guards, taking over prisons, getting kicked out of prisons, which is crazy, but <laughs> I've got shifted from prisons before because I was just, yeah, I was. there wasn't nothing I couldn't sit back and take time to just start running. You know, if I Mm -hmm. really look at it, um, we were talking about it the other day. uh, uh, I mean, a friend of mine, he doesn't like his name being brought up. (laughs) But we were talking about it the other day, how if you sit back for a year and observe any environment, you can know pretty much the way you want to do it to take over. You know, you know, Mm -hmm. your, you know, your biggest problem, you know, your, you're you know you got to get that taken care of first and then the rest will kind of fall into place you know it's funny though like think about that i I do i think about this a lot but think about that from the perspective of on one hand Mm -hmm. the laser good ceo of public company x or whatever who works his way up and as he's getting up starts to see like okay here's how or better yet starts the whole company right here's where we're at Here's how we get to that kind of thing, and here's how we're going to change the business environment for whatever the product is, right, right. in 10 years. Right. And they have that vision, and then if they're great, they figure it out, they change the game, and then they're huge, right? right. It's no different even like being yeah. in a prison. You're like, okay, well, I'm here. This yeah. is my environment. Right. How do I run the prison? Yeah. One it's year the I'll same thing. It's yeah. just one is in a forbidden place of society right Right. and another is in oh yeah that's what happens every day right it's it's the same human thing yeah i believe it's easier in a controlled environment and you know the like you know the rundown within a certain amount of time and then knowing the individuals takes a little longer a couple thousand people running around you got to make sure you know there's whole sections of people you could just kind of discount as they'll go along with anything Hmm. but um and then the guards individually getting to know each one little bit you know, without bringing suspicion to talking to them, but just finding out, seeing where they're weak at. And um, yeah, it was a crazy game. But when you got 24-7 to work on it, you could, yeah, yeah, you're not doing nothing else. So all I did was work out, read books, and study people. And um, and just to get the creature comforts of, of the streets, because it was actually easier living in there. I used to uh, feel like I disappointed everybody with my lack of... Uh, connection with people and stuff like that like you know i learned to be charismatic and go along with stuff but it baffled me you know how much trouble i would get in how much it would hurt my family members you know i'm like what 
you know, like, uh, I got this under control. Don't worry about it. Like that type of, I, I didn't understand how they got so wrapped up in what I'm doing, you know, and, and especially if, when I was, uh, providing results, you know, later when it got money. All, yeah. You know, when it got, when it got really messy, I couldn't do anything right. I understood then. And then on the flip side of that, when I had a daughter, that's when it really hit me. I was like, I got to change, you know? Mm can't have a bunch of people like me running around. Yeah. 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 Something changes inside you. Where yeah. You're like protection mode. Right. All right. Yeah. You just start looking at things different. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you did five, it was five and a half years? Mm-hmm. Well, I did a little extra time. I broke another guard's jaw in there. Oh, what happened there? Uh, he was making remarks about me um, hitting a cop, and he thinks he's a tough guy. It was my almost when I first got there. Mm. They tacked on two more years. So I was about, I don't know, 20, 22 when I got out, something like that. Got it. So you yeah. get out after a stint. Now you've spent like almost a third of your life and you're, yeah, at that point, you know, yeah. the developmental years of your going into adulthood right. in prison. So w what was your plan coming out? Uh, I knew I was going to learn to live without the law being involved in my life. Mm. like that was kind of my resentment i didn't really have any personal grudge you know i didn't do too bad i made some money in there my mom you know i was able to send her stuff for her birthday and so i didn't really hold on to nothing that i knew of but i did have this inward uh idea that i don't mess with cops or anything to do with government or none of that and they don't you know they don't come in my life either and uh that didn't go so well, <laughs> but the, uh, but I would, uh, yeah, it's just started building up a big, um, a big like fear factor for cops messing with me. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, it, it just got out of control. I started getting indicted for murders. I didn't do <laughs> like, but I was creating this, uh, persona myself. So it well, was what, my, well, what, what were you doing? I was just hanging with, like I said, a good friend of mine, he was on escape from Rawway up here and, uh, he got a girl pregnant, so he wanted to go turn himself back in up here. And um, what do you mean, turn himself back in? Yeah. Just, oh, because he didn't want to. Yeah, he wasn't going to turn himself back in. He was going to wait till he caught him. <sighs> but yeah, his yeah his daughter uh, ended up becoming my goddaughter. Um, she's doing well now, but <laughs> having a kid yeah, back to prison. Yeah, I got to go back to prison. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't deal with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Was tragic. Both of them, the mom and the dad, are dead now, but. It was tragic the way that went down. But for like, from the time I got out to, you know, in and out of bids, this guy stuck with me, you know, and he was a, he was a thorough, you know, solid dude for me. But uh, society would probably deem him a maniac. What, what kinds of things were you guys doing for money? Well, he would do uh, burglaries, you know, and I never did burglaries. It, it made me feel, I didn't like stealing. Like mm. not When I was a kid, I did it because it got me in the moment. But I learned it made me feel like, I had to go to the bathroom because I just didn't feel good. Like I, had to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd be like, this doesn't feel right. You do this, you know. And I would rob people and just let them know I did it, you know. Oh, yeah. So there were, if you could see them, you'd do it. If you couldn't yeah. see them, yeah. Like I wanted you to know, not really me, because I'd have sometimes I'd have some. I don't know how much I should say about that, but I would have like draft. <laughs> you know, like I looked like I was there to confiscate your stuff. And you weren't going to do anything about it. Mm. And I found that robbing, you know, people who dealt drugs, I thought you could never get in trouble for that. Turns out 
you can. Oh, so you would rob drug dealers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned. Oh, this is quick. some Omar Little shit right here. Omar Little. Yeah, yeah. From yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Long before I I watched that show, which is funny. The Wire. We're yeah, The Wire. For people listen. Right. And um, long before that show, though, I was in Naples, Florida, which is really nice. I would go to Miami. I would go to. I ended up going in East St. Louis. I ended up going to all these places, and I would find out real quick people didn't like people. You know what I mean? And I'd find out who you didn't like if they had a lot of stuff. And um, and it, and I started feeding a drug supply, too. Like, I, I was doing drugs at the time. I started doing drugs when I was oh. like, yeah, I started doing drugs. With him, actually, I started um, getting into hardcore you know, drugs and stuff. And, uh, and it helped. It helped kill the conscience. What kind of drugs? Uh, I mean, it got pretty, pretty bad heroin, you know, cocaine. Um, I wasn't a, a weed smoker because it left me defenseless against my brain and I would, I'd hate it. I'd just be mm. like a fat blob on the, I was like, ah, my brain wants to kill me and I can't do nothing about it. <laughs> but, uh, opiates, I discovered, uh, I got stabbed a couple times and, um, they gave me these, these red things. I don't even know what they were at the time. But I remember feeling like this is where I want to be. Mm. And before that, when I was like uh, about eight, I think I was like seven, right before my dad hurt himself, I, I used to steal sips of his little Budweiser's. Mm. You know, I bring him one. It was total relief. I was like, wow, that's weird. So I started bringing him like empty cans. <laughs> He'd be, like, be like, what happened? I'd be like, I spilt it. I don't know what happened. He, so he started getting his own beers. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was. It, it was, I didn't pick up on it, but what it did was totally relieve the pressure of being me. Yeah. I don't know why I was under so much pressure. I really didn't live up to much. You know you, what I you mean? Don't? No, I don't. I, I, I never really picked up on why that was. I mean, I'm guessing here. I'm not you, but okay. I would think just from like a human being perspective. Right. You come out of prison after five years. Right. You, you didn't get to do high school. You didn't get to do college. You're labeled a felon by society. Right. Like you have a distrust of government and police and things like that. Some of it very righteously so. Right. And so you're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's maybe a reaction. That was part of it. But this was back when I was seven, I had this pressure. So, oh, yeah. You were, you were actually talking about that. I right. That. Yeah. Well, I didn't, uh, well, I didn't put, I didn't pick up on it. But when I was about three or four, my dad taught me how to play chess. And I thought this is a good way for us to bond or whatever. Mm. I, subconsciously, I played chess like every day, every night down in the parks. I would play with old timers and I started winning a lot. And um, and one night I was like ready to play him and try to beat him. He came home, he was drunk, you know, and uh, he was kind of like sleeping on the table. And I was like, ah, this shit don't work. And I kind of threw away the trophies and everything I won won like statewide tournaments and i was like it wasn't for the chess it was this pressure to live up to what i already had my pop you know what i mean he didn't you know he did not love me or nothing like that but i thought i had to like super perform or something and i'm fighting for something that's already there you know and uh mm. that weird thing i have no idea where that came from um you know i just recognized it through this uh one uh fellowship i was going to I was like, ah, oh, that's what that is. That pressure is obsession. You know, and then when I compulsively act on it, I do a lot of crazy stuff. And then I seem to not be able to stop. And this is wit using drugs. This is long before I even picked up drugs as a as a thing. So when you did pick up drugs though, you were saying it took away the pressure of being yourself. Yeah, I was less dangerous. I was less uh You're less dangerous on cocaine? 
Yeah, yeah, cocaine would make me uh, very calm. Uh, what? Yeah, it would make me very calm. I would talk to people. I used to use cocaine. I'd snort cocaine with people all night to find out if they were a snitch. This is when I first started doing it. And I love talking and grilling them. You know, just finding out little, little, little hidden, you know, uh, contradictions. I'm like, yeah, wait a minute. We're, we're, go back to this part right here. Kind of like what you uh -huh. do here. Yeah. And, uh, and so I would do that because I started getting snitched on by people. I couldn't believe it. Like, I would help people buy their apartments. You know, dude, I did some nice things. My whole point behind selling drugs was to help my friends and family oh so you were selling it too right away right when i came out yeah i had all these connections from prison i looked cool from the environment naples a very nice rich place but i would go into the hoods and get stuff and bring it over and because you were also protecting people in prison who were selling it you yeah, said right yeah, so you had connections yeah. through that right. and then when you got out i was like okay well there's a market for this yeah yeah it was a it was like uh like you said the school to learn how to um pretty much be a criminal you know what i mean I didn't stop doing that for a long time, but until I started, uh, like I said, I had my daughter. I started caring about people. I was like, man, I can't be condoning this at all. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to rob all the drug dealers. I'm going to use all the drugs. <laughs> so I became like a garbage can for, for all the drugs out there. I was just going to use them all. No more making money off of it. Can I get a little bit of a timeline here? Because there, there's okay. a few things there. So you came yeah. out. Yeah. You were at first were selling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You have a daughter. Not yet. Not yet. Not at that time. But yeah. I'm saying, like, when? Yeah. when like after Oh, that. this is uh, 98 and 90, 99. And how so, old are you? Um, uh, at that time, um, let's see, 26. Okay. Yeah. Had you been back to jail yet? Uh, or prison? I, was, uh, I actually met my daughter in prison uh, at a work release center. Right, but I'm yeah. saying when you, this was a girlfriend, I guess, you got pregnant? Or your wife? Yeah, I was in a rehab and I got a girl pregnant. <laughs> they actually right, we yeah. skipped we skipped a few things. Let, yeah, let's yeah, go yeah, back. Yeah. Then. Okay. So you came yeah. out, you were selling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then at some point you were like, I think you were saying it was when your daughter was born. That's when you were like, no, I'm just going to rob drug dealers. Well, a little after that, a little, little after, after that, because after her, I started caring. Like I knew there shouldn't be people thinking like me. Mm. So I was like, I got to change. And then when I started doing that. I started caring about things I refused to care about before because it was too intense for me. In the middle, though, let's let, that's yeah. what I'm looking for. So okay. in the middle of those two things, your daughter's at 26 or whatever and is born like when you actually went to prison. We'll get there. But yeah. in the middle, come out, you're selling drugs. Before that, you got addicted to drugs at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. so you were just, were you a part of like an organization or were you just selling like a one-man army kind of deal? No, I, I affiliated with a bunch of, at one time they, they labeled me an international gang leader, which I thought huh. was ridiculous. I've never been in a gang. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I had a bunch of different people that I dealt with. So I never, I never was prejudiced or, or I never cared. Like if I'm trying to get something done, I use whoever's there and I don't matter. So it looked like I was coordinating with a lot of different types of people. And um, where'd you get the stuff from? Uh, Miami, mostly Miami. Yeah, we uh, West Palm Beach too. We had a connection there for a while. But Miami, um, at the time, I actually ended up moving over there because it made it easier. And I had my daughter at one time. Every time I had my daughter, I stopped doing everything and I tried to do good. But my ideas of what good is, uh, they grew, they started somewhere, but they well, weren't great. How'd you end up in rehab? Oh, that's I, the question. Yeah, so I end up in this. I I got to the point where 
So I'm out a couple years, and um, I get on these drugs. Immediately, I go to, you know, uh, mainlining drugs. After like six months, all of a sudden, I felt I found the answer. I just do this stuff, and I'm fine. I don't have to deal with uh, motions or all that complicated stuff. I could just get things done. I end up, you know, of course, this thing turns its back on me because I'm using it 24-7 eventually. But what happened was I the reason why I started dealing was my friend that I told you that um, came from the Bronx that was in jail with me yep. before. He stayed in touch with me, so I put him on and I put a bunch of other guys on. And I started feeling a good connection with a bunch of good people. With And then I started hooking them up with people. Making them money, too. Right. Yeah. So 2 o'clock in the morning, this guy comes to my house. And he's his nose is running. He's like, hey, I need an eight ball. I was like, you using this stuff? You know, at that point, I hadn't used nothing. And I said, no, we don't use this. We sell it. We, you know, take care of our families. We do what we got to do, but you don't use it. And uh, he's like, no, 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 I just need it. So anyway, I ended up using with them. We were going over to Lauderdale at the time. To some Oh, Club Boca. We were going at the time. It was a big three-story club. And we had all these ex-seminal football players with the brand mm-hmm. that, you know, just got our back. And, it, you know, it felt pretty good. And uh, I'm in there with, you know, some whatever. And uh, we're going back and forth. And I'm bringing them over there. I start doing bumps. And, like, six months later, I'm mainlining stuff. When my boy came down from uh, Raw Waves from Jersey City, uh, he was, like, uh, banging all the time. I'm like, yeah, I'll never stick a needle in my arm. There ain't no way. You know, mm. and uh, like uh, about two weeks later, I'm in Coconut Grove, and in Coconut Grove they got a, a street called uh, Grand. There's a a line where you go from Hollywood people to the ghetto, yeah. and and I'm in this hotel that's looking down that strip, and I'm with this girl, and I'm doing like lines of you know heroin pretty big, and oh, you're uh, doing lines of heroin at this, at, point? at this point. I'm doing lines of heroin and coke, you know, pretty big, and she's doing this little bit. And she's putting it in her spoon and a little bit. And she's like blasted. And I'm like, I don't even feel this yet. You know, I got my tolerance went through the roof. And uh, also like, what, like six, five, six, six, something like that? How I'm tall a, are you? Uh, six, five. Yeah. yeah. Six, five. Big dude. Yeah. At that time I was about 330. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, benching a lot and whatever. But I was strong and I couldn't feel nothing. You know, it got to where my tolerance was just ridiculous. I mean, it was like a four or five thousand dollar day habit. Wow! And I don't know how I was keeping that up. I you mean, were selling, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But I constantly shot these speed balls. But this girl, she did this little bit, and she was just like blasted. I was like, look that up. You know what I mean? She's like, you sure? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I said, my buddy does it all the time. The needle, yeah. And she blasted me, and I, like, grabbed her by the shoulder, poor girl. And I'm like, uh-oh, the building's moving. And um, I don't know how appropriate this is. You might. No, yeah, it's, but, it's, it, this is what happens on, yeah, when you do crazy yeah, drugs. Yeah, so You're well, not yeah. trying to do anything. It's no, just this is uh, why you shouldn't do them right, right here. Definitely, yeah. Train running through my head. And uh, so I, I was hooked right there. And then I realized you could do a lot. Um, you get a lot more done when you get those kind of well, I don't know. It's it's confusing. But uh but so I started finding a perfect way to suit my crazy brain, what I called it at the time, a brain that wouldn't turn off and stuff like that. Uh that took care of that and then I get to do whatever I want. Mm. Now the problem is I I had that freedom. I was doing what I thought was making me happy, 
But when that freedom ran out from that and the noise got louder and louder because I kept doing more and more, you know, seemingly crazy things, um, I actually practiced insanity enough to become insane to where I was diagnosed with like things and stuff like that. I practiced that, you know, so I, yeah. So I had to, I had to, um, you know, uh, try to refocus and slow it down. So I ended up in this rehab. Yeah. That's a pretty wild line that you said in there. I had to practice insanity long enough to become insane. You started to explain that a little bit, but can you expand upon that some more? Uh, yeah. Well, I learned from coming out of that that I had to practice sane actions to get back to being restored to sanity. I had to, you know, common sense things that I thought I knew, but I never applied because I knew them intellectually and I didn't apply them. I just assumed I was doing them. Mm. And it, it actually forms like a, it's, it's a derangement of sorts when I upset the working order of my mind. And that's what I did. I practiced something that was out of my nature for so long that I, I became deranged. Drugs, in this case, were the, at the center of it. Yeah, they're, they, well, they were the relief. The real insanity was practicing things. I was I was running away from fears I didn't even know I had. So Through, so, like, crime type things. Through crime, yeah. yeah, through getting in the moment, through, uh, you know, just crazy. It took crazy things to happen for me to feel alive, you know, mm. and it was all just a feeling. It wasn't, there was nothing produced by it. So that was the insanity that I need just one more thing to go back in my head and live and be at peace for a second more. Mm. But then the brain kind of turned its back on me and said, this is unacceptable. Not one more thing is going to work. And that's when I started getting really uh, fearful. I transmitted a lot of fear. Um, that was another thing you brought up earlier was how I, uh, how I reacted was just me um, trying to keep my fear down. Yeah. Yeah. It's but, like that thing. It's the same thing. Like people, what's the quote? People express their insecurities by taking it out on you or yeah, something like that. Yeah, same deal. Yeah. yeah. It, it, but what I didn't know was that you transmit that fear to somebody else. Mm. And, and that, cause I used to get some crazy reactions sometimes when I go at somebody and I thought they were like terrified of me. But they were, really what they were doing was feeling the fear inside of me. Mm. And it's a, it's a theory that I came up with. It's just my experience. It's not a, it might have been something I read, but I, it's integrated in me that you transmit what's inside of you to people when you show up or anything. Now, if they have preconceived judgments, they go along with whatever, like preconceived notions mm. of when you show up of what it's going to be. That makes a, a lot of sense. Yeah, it's a bias. But they, but you pretty much transmit who you are to people. Like uh, I used to get a lot of, uh, you know, good girlfriends that were beyond me. Why I would get them? It's because they felt secure around me. I I put off a lot of um, you're safe. But the first line I would tell them is you're probably gonna get shot hanging out. With me. <laughs> I used to say stuff like that, and they'd go right up under me, and I'd be like, hey, I can't get rid of this girl. You know, I, I left one at my mom's house for like a month one time. I was in Miami. I came. Oh, you back. left her at your mom's yeah. house? Yeah, and I was like, uh, you're still here? And uh, she, yeah, she was ready to shoot at me, but I uh, couldn't believe she was still there. You know what I mean? I I ran from the house, jumped in a car, didn't come back for a month. I said I'd be back the next day or something. She didn't want me to go. 
she actually was trying to save my life but uh i took it as you're trying to hinder what i'm doing mm -hmm. yeah but the the girl who you were in the hotel room with and you tried shooting up for the first time right that's what got you hooked on that yeah and you're yeah. what like 24 or something like that yeah i was about 20 yeah about 24 okay yeah so this then is what really spiraled it to addic addictive crazy use because once you go to the needle it's a whole new level oh it's a whole addiction in and of itself yeah. and what yeah. made you go to i can't remember if you said this or not there's been a lot but what made you go to rehab at 26 at uh let's see at that was 1998 26? uh yeah it was about 26 i ended up in this rehab uh let me see I ended up, I was on the, I was wanted for something. I ended up going to this job corps in Kentucky and they actually flew me up there and I was wanted for something. I was about 24 and a half, 25. And it was kind of like a break for me to go to this place. And what was it? A job corps? A job corps, they called it. They the taught me how to operate heavy equipment. It's huh. like for, it's a vocational Got it. thing, but it's on a federal you know, reserve and yeah, and I'm wanted. They flew me out of Naples, which was great. And I was like, yeah, you'll take me. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. And so I go on there because my girlfriend at the time talked me into it. And she went too. And she became a successful, you know, whatever you call it, administration person or whatever. And, um, and me, I started, uh, you know, I met the pizza guy. I had drugs coming in underneath the pizza i couldn't stop you know and uh so eventually i got kicked out of there they tried to put me on like mental medication for bipolar or something and uh they really tried they were trying to help me out so i ended up they put me on a bus i go back to naples now i'm wanted and what are you wanted for uh at that time it was um it was uh dealing in a school zone i put a i put a friend of mine up yeah they made it sound like i was peddling the kids or something it was just some school that was within a thousand feet it was mm. two o'clock in the morning no kids at school but they set me up in this school zone um i put a kid up that he got thrown out of his mother and father's house so i put him up in this hotel he sets me up he like you know calls me up he's like i need this and i was like you don't need anything just sit tight your 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 hotel's paid for so you don't need nothing just calm down and and you know try to act right because his parents were nice people and so uh he re he insists that he makes some money so i'm not just paying his his tab and uh i had a weird feeling about it you know and, and i knew it was a setup um so anyway i got another guy to hand him the stuff and and i told the guy i said look this might be a setup you know so oh, he, he told him that yeah i told the dude and he didn't care he just wanted to make some money I was like, you could do it or you could not do it. I totally understand either way. But, you know, this he says he's got all this cash there and whatever. I'm not touching nothing, but I will fight with you, uh, you know, in and out of this. And he knew he knew I was serious, you know. So we went, we got in, we got out. And uh, I kept getting calls for more. And I was like, nah. And at this time, I had like a, I guess one of my first awakenings is I kind of knew I was going to go away for that. Mm. And I, I just knew something was telling me I was on borrowed time. So a friend of mine, I said, hey, get me a job at your thing. He was a manager at a super uh, grocery store. I said, get me a job. I don't care what it is. I said, I want a job. I want to work and do what's right. So I put some money up and I start working this job. And this poor guy, he's like the manager of this place. He wears a suit. He's very into this career. 
And next thing you know, I'm on the bleach aisle, putting bleach up, and there's like 20 officers coming this way, 20 <laughs> officers coming this way. They couldn't get me to do anything else, so they just came and picked me up on the deal in the school zone. So that was what I was wanted for. I was on bond. Oh, you were on bond. Yeah, I got had, on bond like for that. skipped or something. Yeah, I skipped, yeah. And, uh, and so they were looking for me and everything else. So, I, you know, Naples, Florida will indict you for a petty theft if you're in australia they don't care they will get you here and they're gonna get theirs they don't care if it costs them a million dollars they're coming to get you so i get brought you know i get back to naples there's a crazy story with that too but let's hear it yeah okay yeah. so i'm coming back it was the last freaknik it was 1997 you know freaknik down in in georgia atlanta no What's uh, this? it was a big college party uh, I don't even know how to say it right. I just know it's like Freaknik, Freaknik or something like that. But anyway, it, it, you can look it up. There was It was a big party. So all of I-75 is backed up. I'm on a Greyhound bus. Three girls in a convertible um, uh, Mustang or something are, are pulling up alongside of the bus. I'm like banging on the window. I was like, I want to go with you guys. And they're like, come on. And so I, told, I just told the bus driver, I mean, it was gridlock traffic on I-75. If you are looking to search the web privately and not have all these websites track you when you leave, check out my friends over at Privato VPN. Privato is the best VPN company because it gives you all of the privacy, loses you none of the speed, and allows you to use the VPN on multiple devices at one time. So if you hit the link in my description for Privato, you will go to my landing page with Privato and you will see a plan for $4.99 a month. It is fantastic. It's the same one I use. You'll get all your privacy with all your speed and you can use it at on any device at any time so check it out so i was like i'm going with them you know i said <laughs> let me off and i had like a like about a half pound of this creepy weed that i got from the pizza guy up in kentucky huh, yeah, nice. yeah and i'm on a greyhound because they were you gonna, got a half pound yeah half pound and nice. it, it turns out in atlanta they they loved like so i got coke i got heroin i'm just breaking off little bugs <laughs> everybody's giving me stuff i end up taking these three college girls down they're like we want to go wherever you're going you know they thought i i was like i was like naples is not like this this is awesome <laughs> naples is like a dead town we got yeah. like parties in people's houses and she's like no nah, no nah, we're we'll drive you down there and they drove me down there um actually we lost one of the girls but what do you mean you lost one of the girls? i don't know she just disappeared over the weekend she's like disappeared yeah yeah they said her two friends i was like you ain't worried about your friend i was like i don't know where she is and they're like nah she disappears all the time i was like right. <laughs> so i end up in this really wild situation i get back to naples a friend of mine who's wanted by the feds at that time he was about to go away for eight years i didn't know this but he gives me the keys to his apartment. He's like, it's too hot for me in Naples. I got to get out of here. I end up, as soon as I got there, there was a big party, a house party. And uh, these real estate guys I know, they're real estate guys now, but they used to come out and party with us all the time. And uh, they got this nice house, big party. I show up there. A friend of mine's there. I bring these three girls. They're like, I knew it. I knew you were holding out. I said, look, it ain't normally like this. We just, you know, we got lucky. We go in there, we're partying, everybody's having a good time. Then then my boy gives me the keys to this place. It's in a rich part of town. The guy who owns it left him the keys to that and told him he has to run the boat. You know, once mm. a week he wants his motor being run away. So house gotta, watching basically. Yeah, house watching. And the guy didn't care. 
So, and there's a credit card there for the gas. And it's like, and they're like, the girls are like, I knew you were holding, you know, <laughs> I kept saying it. It really is never like this. I was like, man, I must be dying soon or something. Cause everything was just going too smooth. So we end up partying the whole weekend and I'm riding this boat. You know, I almost took my buddy's head off. I never oh, rode a nice. boat before. Yeah. I told him to duck. We were going on this bridge. <laughs> but uh, the girl disappeared. We end up eating all this, you know, good food. She might have been in the motor. Yeah. <laughs> we might have lost her out there. A little and, bump on the, yeah, in, in yeah. the water right took there. Took her head off. Yeah. But so we end up back at this house. We're partying all night. And my friend, who had a wife at the time that had like a, she must have had a transponder in his neck or something. She, <laughs> she always found him. I was like, there's no way your wife, the place got cameras. You could see everything coming. And he's been paranoid, looking at the cameras, watching for his wife. Yeah. Sure enough, Sunday morning, she shows up. <laughs> I don't know how. And she's like banging on the door. We got these girls. Um, where we've been partying all weekend. And uh, and then next thing you know, she caused the commotion. Cops show up, and I'm going to jail. It was like a great weekend. But I, I knew it was just too smooth. It was one of those weekends where I didn't get caught up in nothing. I had a really good time. They come bum rushing the place. They say some other person's name, my buddy. I said, look, I'm not him. And they're like, yeah, that's not him. We know who that is. And they said, hold on, we're just going to run your name, and then you can go. They ran my name. The warrant came back. I'm like, ah, man. And I got Fuck. No, yeah, I got no bond because I skipped, you mm. know. And um, so, yeah, anyway, I yeah, it was a great weekend, great time. It was the last Freaknik. They never did Freaknik again where all the colleges come to Atlanta. So that's why I don't know. Closed but... down. Yeah, that was 97. Yeah, you can look them up. Some of the, Damn. Uh, all the artists used to go there and all the rappers or whatever at the time. And and uh, it was a good time. But um, yeah, so I'm going, yeah, I went to jail for 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 uh, dealing in a school zone. Um, did you, I'm, I'm forgetting, did you end up in rehab too? Yeah, so right after this, this is when I end up, um, something happened to the CI, the confidential informant, mm. where the case didn't work out. He he said one story. The cop said that I was the principal. And that, and they brought this other kid who wasn't the guy I brought. They brought him in, and he, and he ended up calling me because I, I ended up, or he ended up getting a hold of me through the other blocks. I was like, dude, I don't know why you're involved in this. I said, just keep your mouth shut. You're fine. You weren't there. <laughs> And so they tried to charge me as the principal, and then they tried to charge him as the principal. Mm. And the judge is like, you just told me that this guy handed you the stuff, and you handed him the money, and then you said me at a different time. And it was the same judge. And he's like, what do you think, I'm stupid? And the, for the first time, the judge kind of took my side. He threw the whole case out. Mm. So I get out, and I'm like, oh, I want to do good. you know. And I started dabbling a little, and... uh I was like, I'm going into a program. I think I need help. Oh, while I was in that county jail that time, there was this little short lady. She's a drug counselor. And um, we had we got a really tight relationship after that. But she comes into the block, and I'm in a block with some of the most, you know, the ones facing a lot of time. You know what I mean? They never let me go in the blocks that were nicer. They always put me in a block with right. guys that were serious or coming back from prison. And uh, so I'm in this block, and this little lady comes up to me. And she goes, you got a drug problem. I said, no, nah, I got a cop problem. <laughs> she goes, you're coming to my drug block. And I was like, whatever. I was like, you bring me in there if you want to. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but I liked the lady. She was feisty and short, 
you know what I mean? And took and, an interest in you. Yeah, too. yeah. And she she spotted something. And uh and there was a chaplain there too. He used to call me in to bring me, you know, we drink coffee. He always wanted to talk to me. And I was like, That's weird, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so but I like getting out of my block. I like drinking a coffee. So we would sit and talk and then going to this counselor lady, she started saying things to me that later on made sense, you know. And uh like what kinds of things? Like she would say you you know the the clogging in my brain the drugs i would put in there would clog me from who i really was you know and every time you do it the allergic reaction is not the crazy things you do it's that you make these decisions uh disconnected from yourself so then you get results and they're not your results so you're not happy with them and then you go crazy you know so mm. so it made sense to me later Right then, I was just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, shut yeah. the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my I coffee. was like, yeah, she was, yeah, she was fun to watch and whatever. So in the block, I lasted about two weeks, and I smashed somebody's face into something or whatever. I forget what it was. Oh, I broke a chair. They had these chairs, and the chair shattered. A piece went up, and I told them, I said, let me sit on the stairs. These chairs are not going to hold me. Oh, you broke it. You were sitting on it. Yeah, there was these plastic <laughs> chairs on it. And the guy laughed, so I beat him. And uh, uh, later on, as soon as the class was over, I went to do it in front of the lady. I started beating him, you know, and I was like, yeah. You ain't going to laugh again. Yeah, you ain't going to laugh again. And uh, they kicked me out of the block. Some other kid snitched on me. But I went back to the... But she planted a little bit of a seed because when I got out, I dabbled, and I didn't like where it was going. And I kept thinking, allergic reaction, allergic, I don't want that. Did you get serious withdrawals when you first went in there? Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna say because uh, you were doing. Yeah, the the county's kind of the best place for me. Like I did, uh, I choked a nurse one time and took his Vicodin because I knew the guy from the streets. Like huh? Collier County was, you know, I knew people, so you knew the nurse from the streets. Yeah, he was a dude who ate Vicodin, and I and so I, you know, I choked him one time and got some. He was a nurse and he was abusing Vicodin. Yeah, yeah, he had a prescription. Well, he had a prescription, but yeah, he always <laughs> had a bottle of them. And, uh, Reassuring. Yeah, yeah. So I knew that. And prison I told, nurse too. Yeah, prison and jail. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I figured out little ways to get things, but the habits I had grew. I was like, I can't sustain this. I just gotta, you know, I would lay down and get sick. But but it goes quick when you convince your mind that you're not doing this. Yeah. Yeah. After that point, it's just physical, and I did that so many times that I learned to just you know override that. The worst was coming off methadone. It was like 60 days of vomiting. I went to the hospital three times with seizures from the Xanax and, yeah, from the county to the hospital back. On Christmas and Christmas Eve and on New Year's and New Year's Eve, I was in the hospital or in the ambulance on the way to the hospital from the jail, and I'm hearing all the radios, Happy New Year, and I'm thinking, man, I'm so lifeless. You know, I don't even care about Oh, so they were taking you back and forth while you were in there. Yeah, that, that was the last bid, yeah. Then when they sent me to... Uh, death row. You're right. I was all kicking right. all the way up. We're, we're going to get there. Yeah let's, yeah. let's stay on track with this. So we but get you, to this rehab. Yeah. You come out, you go to rehab. Right. And uh, so it was a one step, two step, three step program. They were pretty much breaking you into recovery. And um, they sent me to this fellowship that said, if, you know, pretty much if I don't drink, I'll be fine. You know, and drinking was never my problem, nor was the drugs. It was the obsession that I couldn't get out of, the fixed thoughts, the um, endless loops in my head 
of I got to get this done and I don't care what happens. The drugs and alcohol. What done? Whatever it was at the time. I got to get this amount of money. I got to fix this problem. Uh, all the people that would bring up things I don't like, I got to make sure they don't do that. There's a lot of work. So I they were. Me- you're saying that the drugs and or alcohol, whatever, it was masking the problem, and you yeah. wanted. You're saying, I misunderstood you at first. I thought you were saying like, oh no, that wasn't a problem. But you're saying that was oh, just a problem. Were, yeah, <laughs> that was yeah, a problem yeah, you yeah. created on top of the real problem. Right. It was a solution to me at a time because it gave me instant relief from the pressure of the brain of all these things sure. I thought I had to do. But yeah, it was definitely a big problem. It was the first. Uh, thing I had to do to get to the solution was stop putting it in me. Um, but the at this rehab, I, I was convinced that I was cured as soon as I was physically cured. So intellectually, I read all these books. Since I was a kid, I've been reading the Bible trying to fix my family. So I knew all about principles. And I you mean, read I, the Bible as a kid? Oh, yeah. I read it like three times by the time I don't know how many, yeah, about three to five times from the time I was eight till. Um, till I was about, I don't know how old, but in prison too, I read, I read a bunch of religions, but really, yeah. yeah. What I mean, like, it's kind of surprising to me, given like your whole life story before even going to prison and all that. Like you always had to look out for yourself, but you, did you have like a relationship with like God? Um, no, I was just, I was trying to, I was Mm. trying to, but not for me. I was doing it for, to fix you know, my family would have these problems. Like even a funeral I went to when I was a kid, I remember my grandfather passed very close to him, very sad, but people were like tearing themselves apart. And I was like, I must not care as much as these people. Mm. And I started misinterpreting and making valid how I felt, you know, because uh, I don't know if they were acting or they just were out of their minds, but I couldn't tell. But I really fell out of place because I felt sad I was going to miss them. But I thought it was, you know, it was just time. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of looked at it like when, you know, like nothing was permanent. We we're going to meet up again. Mm. It was just his time. And I felt, you know, fine until people wouldn't come out of their rooms. People weren't eating. They were acting, you know, really strange to me. And uh, I kind of felt like a, like I wasn't part of the human race uh, for a minute there. Or at that time, I didn't have that kind of introspect. But uh but I knew I felt alien to them and the way they were, and I felt a little guilty. I was like, man, I don't, you know, I don't feel like hurting myself. I, I don't think he'd want me to hurt myself, mm. you know? And, and I was like trying to honor the guy and he was a good guy. I was like really close to him. Um, but yeah, later on I found out was, my mom resented him for leaving my grandmother, get with another woman that wasn't very nice. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that people act in accordance to their guilt and shame. And at that time I had nothing but good connections with the guy. So when he left, there was just sadness. There wasn't no, Oh, I should have called him more or not. Cause I wanted to spend every moment with him. Got know? it. Yeah. So you sir, you turned to meaning like in the Bible, cause you saw all these other people and how they were acting and you wanted to be able to act like that, but you couldn't. And so you're like, well, I must be able to get answers in this thing. Well, I wanted them to not feel so, um, destructive to themselves over things so i thought this god thing was a good idea but my mom and my two sisters were jehovah's witnesses at the time and they were a little over the top and, well were the they other, doing the whole knocking on nah, the door they thing? weren't doing that but right, yeah they no they would just tell you how wrong you are and how 
<laughs> right. I got you. Yeah, so, and they wouldn't let me have any play guns, you know, so I got a real obsession with guns. I like, you know, I liked guns because they would always take my toy guns, you know what I mean? So, when so I got, you were trying to buy yeah, real ones. Yeah, I get real ones, yeah. <laughs> and I would cap them if they try to take them. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, so, yeah, yeah, so we get, I I had those little those little events where I just started, you know, alienating myself. And then at the same time, I'm reading these books to try to give them, like, make some sense of what, you know, you're doing this. It doesn't make any sense. You're suffering from it. Stop it. You know what I mean? And they couldn't do that. And I was very willful and prideful when I was a little kid. If I didn't want to do something, like I didn't smoke cigarettes. I didn't, uh, I thought people that did drugs were fucked you know scumbags weak yeah yeah weak yeah and i it, it wasn't until i got to naples florida where everybody's all glamorous nobody's losing teeth or sleeping in a bush that i said ah drugs might not be that bad you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah these people own houses they're doing good and but where i was from they come crawling out of the bush yeah. i had a box cutter put to my throat when i was a little you know taking my bike you know stuff like that my dad would go get it back but you know somebody puts a blade to your throat you're just like yeah all right take it you know you get used to you yeah. get used to this kind of thing. Yeah, so I that's what I connected to drugs and drug users and all that. And later on when I started robbing drug dealers, I didn't have any mercy. You know. Yeah, now that's an interesting let's jump to that for a second. Sure. Because you know, one of the reasons we mentioned like Omar Little earlier, one of the reasons people loved that character, not just because he was like this complex guy and had just a really, really interesting character played, one of the best ever in T V. But he was a Robin Hood, you yeah. know. He yeah. he would. He's like I robs drug dealers. He'd <laughs> run around and yeah. he'd take money from drug dealers, and he would always have enough to be able to spend for his own life. But right. he lived in the hood too, right. and it was he looked at it like he was also doing a public service because these people are just giving everyone their fix. Right, and so you came at it from the end of like you were a drug user too right so you also knew at least probably by that point the downsides of what this can do to people yeah and so there's a part of you that obviously has like a care in that like okay a yeah i'm gonna fund myself here and some of my habit which you know negative in in that respect because that's robin and all that but but b maybe there will be people who won't end up like me because they can't get it there isn't a guy right here right right yeah, and I, and a lot of uh, I scared people into recovery. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of times that happened too. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just sending people back into recovery. You know, yeah. drugs take you out. I send you right back. You know, because I'm doing all the drugs. But uh, yeah, so it was a persona, I guess, that I took on. That was yeah, it gave me some sense of purpose. You know, and and I I really remember saying one time, I don't know if I can get in trouble for this, but. I whatever it I was on this house was being watched by a certain drug uh drug cops you know drug cops DEA yeah so so anyway I go in on New Year's Eve and I knew there was a bunch of stuff there and and a friend of mine told me all the logistics so I go in there and I just pick a guy up throw him (laughs) through a table rob everything there and I get caught on camera (laughs) <laughs> and this kid tries to snitch on me to, and he tells my friend the the buddy that was on escape from Rawway, well we've been running together for a long time he didn't do robberies because he had a bad memory and he wants somebody coming up and and i had a really good memory at the time and i said yeah i don't care if they remember or not you know what i mean but him he didn't want to get stole you know what he I mean? didn't want to get what like 
stole on, like uh, caught unaware by somebody he forgot he robbed. Oh, they come right. up to him and start stabbing right. him. I yeah. understand now. Yeah, okay. he wasn't afraid of it. He just didn't like that somebody being out You just there. didn't give a shit. I didn't give a shit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was a guy, I forgot the story I told him, and he was in front of my boy's house. And he starts saying, you know, and, the, and his girlfriend's, you know, boosting him up. He's like, you did this, you did that. I said, man, I can't remember the story. So I whack, <laughs> whack him in the ear. And I said, shut up and leave. And uh, my boy goes, what was that for? I said, I couldn't remember to lie. I told him. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so his girl and I was like, shut her up too. And um, yeah, I just, I remember like ringing his ear. I didn't want to hit him because I didn't feel right. I already robbed him apparently. <laughs> I couldn't remember. I was, you know, everybody was a mark or, or the next thing, you know. So I said, yeah, I probably did it, but whatever, you know. And um, so, so rehab didn't work. You were back out and you were robbing people because your daughter was born, and you're like, well, I'm still on drugs, but at least I'll rob drug dealers. Right. Well, the short time I I left rehab, they graduated me early and said they couldn't teach me anything. <laughs> Again, right over my head, I was like, oh, I knew I knew this. Well, stuff. I'm good at this. Yeah, yeah, I'm good at this. <laughs> I could teach this stuff. They're like, yeah, you can teach it. But you can't live it. You know, yeah. they didn't tell me that part. They were they were nice about it. They graduated me early. The girl who I was messing with in the program, she left right after that and came with me. And uh, and I told her, I said, look, the nicest I've ever been has been in that little 20 days I was there, 15 days. That's not I, for, a long time. No, nah, but I was, I was like really buying into it. Uh, the first week I was there was a little rough because they were doing this circle thing where people share their deepest stuff. <laughs> I was like, that's insane. Fuck that yeah, shit. yeah. So this one dude who who confessed to you know blowing a guy for crack, I was like, damn. This same guy said he messed with my my boy's brother, the you know thoroughbred from Jersey. He said he punked him, and so <laughs> I didn't know about anonymity or keeping people's. Oh, I no. called him on the phone. I said, hey, there's a guy in this program that just. Almost too close said he sucked dick for for crack and then he and then he said he punked you. So the guy comes to I said, We're, <laughs> we're going to this meeting tonight. So we go to this meeting, and he just starts beating him in the meeting. He shows up there, he's like, Oh, you punked me, huh? And it was Oh bad. no. Later on, like years later, I was like, Oh, that was a bad thing to do. But at the time I was you like, didn't know. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know. He was talking you know, I was like, he ain't here. Why are you talking about him? You know what I mean? And I know this guy. He's not type. He don't. He's not a big guy, but he don't back down from nothing. You know, and uh, he tried to hit me with a bat one time. I had to snatch it out. Huh. Him. Yeah, I put him nice under guy. my. Yeah, I put him under my tire. No, he was a nice guy. I was, you put him under your tire. Yeah, I was like, stay there while I run this car, and he wouldn't stay there. But uh, he was annoying. But he was so uh, funny. He used to bite my arm all the time. At one even time. after the whole tire incident. Yeah, he was yeah, still yeah. cool. Oh yeah, yeah. It's all on love and war. He so yeah, you gotta love him. He, he was just he'd be in the middle of the hood telling racist jokes to the and having people laugh at their own. Yeah, I, some it, people it, like it's just hilarious. Yeah, there's some <laughs> things that like you'd hear someone say if you've ever been around someone like that, and you're like, how are you not getting shot for that? Yeah, but I then everyone's say, yeah. like, oh, this guy, we love him. Yeah. Like, what? Nobody takes him that seriously. Do you hear what he just said yeah, to you? <laughs> like, yeah. And he's doing it all for the next thing. He brought me one time, he brought me a fat gold chain for like a rock. He's like, all I want is a rock, a needle, and a bag, and I'm straight. And I was like, you sure? You know, oh, that's so I gave sad. Him, yeah, but I gave, I gave him a lot more. No, but that's what he loved. He yeah. died doing that. He had leukemia. He was in the hospital, mainlining it through his uh, 
Jesus pick. Christ. Yeah. I beat a guy up for that, too, in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, I was like, why are you bringing him? I'm bringing the guy soup. I'm clean at the time, you know? And uh, I'm bringing him soup and trying to look out for him. And this guy's bringing him cocaine in the middle of the hospital. I'm like, uh, I had a weird moral system in my head, I you guess. You did. Ha- you yeah. had a very warped all over the place yeah. system. Like yeah. there are things that were so obvious that you're thought, oh, nothing. Everyone else yeah. would be like, why the fuck are you doing that? Yeah. And there's a lot of things where it's like, oh wow, he took a stand on that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, out of nowhere too. It's bizarre. I just, yeah, I would find things that were just I couldn't live with it. But you were coasting this whole time. You you never really. I mean, that's what you've been talking about the whole time. You were never. You never thought about this. Yeah. Never and it sounds like. Yeah. It sounds like you never thought about it, even when you were like reading the Bible and stuff. It was just kind of like you were. Yeah, reading it no, I was finding the something. answers for other people. Yeah, I didn't realize at the time. If I'd have looked at that stuff as this is to keep you at peace, uh-huh. like myself, it would have worked. But because I never, I never um, integrated it. I just intellectually understood it. Told people if you do this, apparently this will happen. And and you know, it seemed sound in theory. That if you're forgiving, you don't run around with this resentment, you don't feel so bad. And I would try to explain this stuff and I would get discounted, you know, and because I didn't have any experience with it, one, I was young. And, uh, but these ideas made sense to me that you, what does that do? Replaying something in your head that makes you miserable over and Mm. over again. Why? Why? If you got a choice of a billion thoughts, why are you holding on to this? You mean, and and you try to say that and you look like a, uh, a little punk to people that have been alive for, you know, years and years and they got stuff or whatever. So I was frustrated. I was like, ah, this don't work. God doesn't work. You know what I mean? And I, you know, get foxhole prayers sometimes, but not, no real connection to that for years. And um, the life I ran seemed to go uncontrollably. Uh, it just got worse and worse and worse. It, it, like I would keep reacting, reacting. I had no time to process. Right. I would just react. And, um, you know, I, I get stopped periodically. Like prison was breaks for me after that. I would get small bids, work them down, go take a break for a couple of years. People don't, uh, they're not so frustrated with you. You're not so frustrated. Controlled environment. Controlled environment. Can't go certain yeah. places. Yeah, it, got, it kept me out of trouble. And I liked, um, I had a bigger obsession of not going to sleep at night with a feeling of being chumped. So I stayed spiritually fit, strong, not spiritually fit, physically fit, mentally strong, you know what I mean? And always ready to wreck something. And that was a bigger obsession than using. So I wouldn't use for years at a time. Really? So you could just kind of... Yeah, it was, well, like I said earlier, I wasn't a drug addict. I was was addicted to altered realities. I was Mm. addicted to living in my head, perceiving things the way I want to, not feeling things I don't want to. Now, when you were doing the hardest stuff, though, obviously you still had scientific withdrawals. Oh, yeah. No, physical withdrawals, yeah. But those, you know, like I said, the worst one was the methadone, and that lasted 60 days. And a lot of that was caused by, like, a bid in jail or something like that. So it might be involuntary to get off it, but then you'd just be off it. Yeah, once I'm off of it, I didn't... I had bigger bigger fish to fry. That's interesting. So the thought, you don't have a natural... A lot of people have a very natural like addictive gene in anything yeah right just yeah. you know i i decide that i like pepsi oh fuck it i'm gonna have more pepsi Drink tomorrow. Gallons of it. Yeah, yeah it seems yeah. like you were more and you keep on talking about but you were more on the psychological side like 
you were addicted to feeling a certain way about the world. And if you couldn't feel that way, if you couldn't like coast through, mm -hmm. then you wanted to do drugs. Yeah. But this way, when you weren't so focused on, I'm trying to make sense here, but when you weren't so focused on that end of it, you could kind of just cut the drugs at least for a time being. Cause yeah. it was like, that wasn't what well, it was never there for the, Oh, I feel this way on heroin. Oh, I feel that way on Coke. It was more so like, Oh, I get rid of this other thing on that. And if yeah. you didn't feel like you had to get rid of it. Okay. Yeah. Well, what I discovered later on was when I was in the thick of trafficking or doing stuff, I, I stumbled upon living principles. Like I was living safety. I was living security. Mm. I was li like, if I had a, a bunch of ammo, you know what I mean? I felt safe. Uh, I had a purpose. I was bringing a purpose. I was, there was all these little things that I thought these, these things I thought up were the things making me feel this way. But it was actually these these fundamental things that I didn't have growing up, the safety, security, significance. Mm -hmm. And I found that these things that I stumbled upon were the real thing I was trying to get through uh, my own means. Like, like I had no way to do it, and I wouldn't let nobody help me because I didn't know how to let people in. But I'm going to get it. You just hit something really big right yeah. there. And this is some, I don't know the name for it, but we probably look it up. It's some sort of psychological principle. But when you look at people's lives, for better or worse, whatever, the actions that they take as an adult are to fill some sort of priority that they wanted to have as a kid. And it could be good, it can be bad, it can be bad. I think usually it's probably some form of both. Right. But like you just said, you wanted safety, security, and what was the other thing? Significance. Significance, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And these are things you didn't have as a kid because, you know, we already went through your childhood and like some of the things there, moving around, your parents divorcing, your dad went through all that stuff, almost died, you know, and then you were, you were around people who I would characterize as on the more of the dangerous type of side of society. So you didn't know piece right. you didn't know like oh regular middle class living you know right, what i mean right but you wanted it and so all the things you did wrong even older was in a weird way trying to get that yes exactly and when it when it seemed like i was getting it like uh times i had my kid was working uh was valid at work where were that, you working i was working for a concrete company called uh baker concrete in miami we built uh we poured all the concrete for Dolphin Mall. Oh wow. Yeah, so I was on a prison work release crew. I kept the job when I got out. I got my daughter back. I got her mother who, you know, wanted to party sometimes. I couldn't do it. I said, you know, go do what you gotta do. I wow. can't do that. I just wanna be a dad and work. One day I come home, they had dipped. She had it enough or I wouldn't go out and drink with her or nothing, and I just knew I couldn't. After I held her, I knew I couldn't drink or do anything and be uh and change the way i need to change but at some point you did go back to drugs because oh, right after they left right yeah, after yeah they right left. after now they left yeah i didn't care mm. about the job no more i went right into winwood which is uh you know yeah yeah so so that makes a lot of sense yeah okay. and and that happened a few times i built my life back up um to the point where i was ready to be the dad or ready to be you know upstanding member of society and then my my reason for doing it was this or that. It wasn't just for the sake of doing right. right. You know, and it never never lasted. As soon as the picture fell apart, I fell apart. 
Mm. Yeah, because I was like, man, this is just hopeless. You know, I just keep uh, I keep building up, but I didn't have any meaning beyond another person I cared about. I didn't, I couldn't, uh, my worth was so low. I didn't see the point in doing anything uh, if I didn't have a goal I was working towards. Well, right? when you were eight years old looking to buy a gun, you were doing it because you needed to be the man of the house in your yeah. mind. Yeah. So you yeah. didn't have protection, but you wanted to give protection. Mm-hmm. And so then when you're older, even down to like drug dealers who are working for you, like mm-hmm. a negative environment, that kind of thing. Right. Well, I need to protect them a little bit. Yeah. You know, don't go this, don't go this drop because I think it's a setup. Right. Okay. Still want to go. I'll go with you just to watch you. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then you get the ultimate one. You have a kid. Yeah. And you're like, well, my life just changed. Right. We're going to cut all this other shit. Like, I'm going to protect her. Right. And then she's not there. Right. And now it's like. Just falls Fuck apart. It. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. somehow I always thought I'll be all right. I can do whatever. But every once in a while, I'd stumble upon somebody I cared about. And they can't do whatever. You know what I mean? And some reason, I thought they were different in that sense. Like, I can handle all kinds of, you know, pain. and But you can't. And that was a weird uh, non-existent virtue I, I plucked out of somewhere. And, um, well, because I have been, a little oh yeah, I, I have been there to the point where I was in a box for 13 months in isolation. I, you know, there was nothing you could do to me. In fact, leaving me alone for 13 months is, is fine. Um, it's when I'm, you know, having to deal with different, uh, people's, you know, disappointment in me or anything like that those are things that hurt so i'm in prison i don't care what you know Mm. i have no i had no uh your opinion doesn't matter so your your daughter left though and then you didn't have her and so now you turn back to drugs yeah now you're robbing drug dealers and stuff what what else went on well a weird thing happened i went on another running thing and uh it was getting worse it was getting worse to the point where uh, the drugs weren't getting me no relief. I didn't know what I was working towards. And uh, and I'm going 100 miles an hour, not really, you know, going anywhere. So I kept getting stopped. I kept getting, you know, knocked off and going back and forth and trying again and trying again. It wasn't until uh, this this buddy of mine came down to get me, and I was actually looking for more bullets. That was the the thing I wanted him to grab and bring down for me. And he brought me down and tricked me into going in this detox in Fort Myers. And uh, that's where I met that one guy that started making sense of some stuff. Oh, we were talking about way at the beginning, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we yeah we talked about it a little bit. Uh, that guy learned how to, he knew how to separate what I did from who I am. Mm. Yeah, even when I would write stuff down, it was all true and it all happened. But he said, I don't see that in you. You know, and I did a lot of stupid things when I was with him. Like one time his wife kept bothering me about, he wasn't, she wasn't bothering me. She was nagging him about my food, about the food bill. Oh, cause you live I got with my them appetite for, back. You live, yeah. you live with them after the detox for right. six months. Right? Yeah. This, this guy's taking people. me to five meetings a day. Yeah. I'm sleeping on this, this futon, which is like five feet long. <laughs> six, yeah, I'd wake up with like lines going through my leg, my circulation cut off. I had a line right I can't, here. I can't see you sleeping Six on like months, I bed. stayed on that thing. That's how interesting this guy was. I Six months, I stayed on that thing. And After I had the a, detox. Yeah, I had a king bed that I could have went back to in Naples. It was a house that I kind of took over and made the guy move out. But, what uh, do you mean you, you took over and made the guy move out? Yeah, it was this nice neighborhood. I used to, you know, and then one day he just annoyed me and it was his house. But... <laughs> 
He I says, was like, dude, you got to go. Yeah. I was like, you got to go, man. I can't. He's like, this is my, I said, just don't argue with me. <laughs> just leave. And, uh, and he left and I even said to him, I was like, yeah, your girl can stay, but you got to go. <laughs> I was, yeah. That was one of the most dickish moves. He was a nice kid too. He just but, left. Yeah. He just left. Never came yeah. back. Yeah. Well, he complained about it to a few people and I was like, he I what? To house. And, yeah. And I called him. I said, dude, you complaining about this? No, no, I didn't say nothing. I was like, you know, you're doing me a because I used to have the, this weird thing where I had to make the person I was offending okay with it. Like, if yeah. you were going to be around, and I was going to see you. I don't want my conscience feeling all bad. So get happy about the way I'm taking advantage. It means of you. I care about you. Yeah, yeah, not really. I just cared about my conscience <laughs> driving me crazy. Yeah, later on, I felt like such a jerk. I did that so many times. Where I was like, you're not really mad, right? You know, and I would say it over and over again. If I liked the person, if I didn't, it was easy. But if I liked the person and I knew I was being a, a dick, I had to get them okay with it. You know, I had to get them okay with it. Yeah, yeah, it was a weird thing. I couldn't go to sleep; my conscience would bother me. You know, and it's such a you know, even if I got them to say it, that was good enough for me. But that would, that didn't change nothing. You it's know? a participation trophy. Yeah. You, need, you needed yeah. to feel like you had something to point to. Well, there's right. the evidence. They're yeah. cool. Right They're cool there. with it. Yeah, All they right. said it. Why would you good. say it if you're not cool with it? You yeah. Know? Wow. So, yeah, there was weird things going on. I truly believe we're, you know, we got this big power inside of us, and um, it can go either way. Mm. But the the right way to do it is, you know, lovingly and, and respectfully. And I, you know abuse that for a while you know yeah yeah but you when you got out of this whole thing and you were living with that couple Mm -hmm. for six months right what what you left so one night i I got tired of hearing her you know nag about it about three months yeah well it took about two months for me to start eating once i started eating people realized i rather yeah i rather you know clothe you than feed you but um (laughs) So I I go into this hood in Fort Myers, knock this guy out. I leave the drugs because I'm trying to do right. And I take the money and I bring it back and I give it to her. Don't worry about where it came from. Well, she didn't care. She just wanted the money. She, <laughs> she, she, was, she was a funny lady and a sweetheart of a lady. But her husband finds out about it and he starts yelling at me. He's like, where's your worth? I was like, what are you talking about? And, uh, and he's like, you're not going to tell me? I was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? I was like... What are you talking about? He's like, did you uh, do that? You know, he didn't really know what I did. He goes, where did you get a bag of money? And I found it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I started out with. And I was like, nah, I like this guy. You know, I said, yeah, I went, you know, this guy was you know, not doing the right thing. And I'm like a little kid. I feel like he's hating me right now. Cause that was another thing I interpret. I interpreted discipline as you hate me. Mm. Anytime somebody tried to discipline me, I thought they hated me. And, uh, and I don't know where I got that from, but. There was, it was just avoid, avoid that person. Don't go around them or get rid of them, whatever. And um, so he started doing this thing where he was he was like, does it make any sense that you can't hear any nagging, but you'll face so many years in prison if a cop seen you, you know, knocking this guy out and taking his money? And I was like, yeah, he's a bad guy. You know what I mean? And I would just brush it off. And another time this guy was giving me like pizza all the time. So I like, ah, that's pretty nice. I was walking around talking to people. I was starting to be nice. And uh, so the guy was just being nice, giving me pizza. I started like showing up with friends. Give me three pizzas. <laughs> and I and then one day he refused me. And I was like, oh, no problem. And I walked out and I thought I was being, you know, recovery-like. 
I thought I was doing the right thing. I walk out to get in the car with this sponsor at the time. He was my sponsor. And he goes, where's your worth? I was like, yeah, you're right. And I go back in and I'm, I'm punching the guy now. Oh, shit. Yeah, I got pit. And he comes in, get out of here, dickhead. And he calls me dickhead. And, uh, and I was That's like- That's not what I meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, what do you mean? I'm getting my worth. He's like, oh, I was so confused what, what he was giving me um, and trying to explain things to me. One time he, this guy was yelling at him, yelling at him. And I heard it. And I'm on Fort Myers Beach. And he's like really in his face. And I like this guy. So like, I'm going I'm to hurt this other dude. So I come running back because he was parking the car and the guy was yelling at him for something stupid. So I come running around the car and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I was like, no, 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 whoa, whoa. And I go to beating him and uh, he yanks me by my hoodie, pulls me back. I was like, what are you doing? Let me go. <laughs> and the guy's like, he goes, you did what you were supposed to do. You, you know what I mean? You stunned him from being... Uh, you know, dick to him, you know. Right, right, right. He was going overboard. And Job you don't was yell done. At, yeah. Job was done. Yeah, that's what he was saying. Because he took me in a few places to get people out of dope holes, girls that couldn't get out, or they would call him. And I would go, you know, help him with these things. And he would never let me get too violent. You know what I mean? I was like, dude, this is something I could do. And you don't yeah. think that's the thing. You're not thinking of it like that. Yeah, I'm looking at it like I'm playing my I gotta, go- I got to yeah. take care, I gotta yeah, take care of this. I got to look you out know? for him. It's yeah. not like... I'm going to go beat the shit out of this guy. You're going to watch his nose bleed and everything yeah. and his face right. is going to be, it wasn't like that. It was more like, wait, that guy's yelling at that guy. That guy's a good guy he's yelling at. So yeah. let's just, yeah, he's not yeah. going to do that again. No. Yeah. And I'm not going to let him do that. Yeah. Mm. And that was a big uh, thing he taught me was um, everybody has the same worth. Everybody, even that guy that's yelling, he has the same worth. And even though his actions are, are calling for, you know, a bad time for him, he still has the same worth as any other human being. And that was a weird concept to me. I was like, well, not everybody has the same worth. That's mm. like, what about this person, that And I had an argument about all of it. But later on, I realized he was 100% correct. You know what I mean? That people's statuses go up and down, you know, money goes up and down. But your worth as a human being and your welfare, um, there was a, a guy a long time ago that, um, famous guy, I can't remember, but he said you could judge a, a country or a place by how it treats its prisoners. Because mm. I thought about that for a minute. I was like, you know, prison's kind of weird. You yeah, we're not mean? doing too well here. Then. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're doing a lot better in some countries. You know what I mean? Some yeah, country, no, that's yeah, fair. That's yeah, fair. Yeah, that's fair. They, but you're right, though. But lock it. They lock it. Like Florida, they got like 45, you know, privately owned prisons. People making money off yeah, prisons. That's, yeah, that's a whole nother thing. But how they treat them, though, I used to think like when somebody's cutting themselves or throwing, you know, feces at the cop or something, they deserve to. You know, at the one time I was like, "Yeah, it's kind of disgusting." You know, like I used to think some people deserve death just because they were out of, um, you know, uh, out of their mind or whatever. I'm like, who's gonna put up with that? Like nobody puts up with that mm-hmm. when I act like that. And I would get this, but after that guy, I started realizing that their worth is the same. Their their worth and their welfare is the same. And I get the idea where people start, you know, trying to. Um, make it a perfect world, which is impossible, you know, to make everything, oh, if everybody would just act this way. Well, no, embracing all the diversity is the first, you know, first uh, part of that. Then learning how to be at peace during anything, 
you know, that's what this guy taught me. Mm. And it took years and years before I started. It started making sense to me. There's kind of a difference, though, right? In certain things, like not to say that the concept's not right. I'm just trying to understand. Right. Sure. Like when you, if you were to see, this was definitely something I'm sure that would have pissed you off mm-hmm. based on your actions, like with principles. But if you were to see someone, let's say robbing a, a little old lady mm-hmm. and beating the shit out of her, right? You're gonna go. You're gonna go hurt that dude, and you yeah. should in that yeah. case. You know, yeah. get him off or that whole thing. But 100%. like in your mind, you're not thinking like their worth right there is not the same. Their their worth is is the same. Their their actions are calling for uh, a world like where that's what happens to them. Like they're see that's uh, the thing. Yeah, you're you're creating your world all day long with your decisions. And so if you're a if you're a guy that goes around and beats up old people or any of that, you're gonna meet an old person that gets beat up. You kind of create a world like that where everybody's so cold and everything. You're already in your own personal hell. Um, now, definitely somebody would definitely deal with that, and uh, I don't think they'd be wrong if it wasn't premeditated. Like if it was happening around me, I would beat that guy. Yeah, and that's I would, what I'm saying. Yeah, and then you'd I'd, be right to I do would, that. Yeah, and I would get him in a mental institution now. Whereas before, I, I might try you. to, you know, I got yeah, you. never let this guy do this again. Now, okay, now uh, it makes you're looking at people as everyone. Like, let's look at it from the negative end, like like bad people. They're doing it out of some sort of injury. They're fucked up, right. and we can treat them as fucked up, but yeah. let's, wherever we got to take them, and that may, obviously, for things include prison and stuff right. like that, where it's supposed to be, like, correcting people. Right. So yeah. sure about that. But, yeah, no. you know, like, we got to get them there rather than just say off with his head right now. Right. There's at least some form of empathy for yeah everyone. because you you create a world of murderers when you murder that guy yeah yeah that's the world you're creating now huh. it might take a while but it it's like okay well he did jaywalk let's murder him you know and it that's gets, wow that's interesting yeah, yeah. You, you ever see and i don't know this topic nearly well enough to speak on it as right. like a historian right. but you ever look at like the french revolution yeah, at all guillotine yeah. right yeah so yeah. those people who started that mm-hmm the revolution was based in like class warfare. You know, they wanted to upend the monarchistic whatever system because all the people were being treated badly and left to be poor and all that. Right. And so then they take power. And when they do, they got to kill the people who caused everything because they got to be out of the way. And then what do they start doing? They start turning it on themselves and on all the people they purported to help. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, becomes their nature. They overcorrected and now they're a victim of the same thing they were a victim of. Fuck, yeah. Yeah, so that's where it's tricky, though, because this guy beats this woman on emotion. You know what I mean? I would hurt yeah, that guy yeah. beyond, yes. you know, anything. And uh, But but logically, if I did that, I would carry that. This is where I seen it happen. I was on death row at the time. I was a medical orderly. There was a guy dead on the ground. He had been dead for about 30, 40 hours. And the EMT has to come in and declare him dead. Then uh, I get to take them down and, and bring them and wait for the coroner. I was standing here. These guys, these cops knew the, the guard, the corrections officers. They knew he was dead. The EMTs come in. He's, they start putting stickers on him, trying to act like they're trying to revive him. They had been making jokes before that. I had seen, I had empathy for the first time in my life. Usually I'd be like, 
you know, shittier, and I would go at them too. The the inmates were all screaming stuff, throwing stuff. It was a very volatile thing, a, like a like a panoramic view of of just how how you know like six this place is and so i see these emts come in to declare him dead and they're terrified because they think these all hardened criminals but i could feel their fear and i could feel their fear and and it was yeah Yeah. all of them even the guards they go home to their families and they just they just uh treated a human life now i don't know that guy's background but he was the same age at me at the time i was 33 and i'm looking and he's dead and he looks horrible and there's nobody there and his nose is smashed over here and it just decrepit picture of a really white pasty dude yeah. who got beat to death in his cell and left, you know, and, and pretty heartless. And then they're acting like they're resuscitating him. And normally I would get really violent towards the guards there, about right there. I'd be like, you pieces. They were joking yeah, around. Joking around with somebody, yeah. you know, and I don't know the guy's background. Maybe they thought, but I, but I had empathy this time. I started, uh, it was like, a, I recognized their, Fear of not wanting to look soft, getting vindicated. Oh, we're doing a job here, guys. We, you know, this guy's dead. He deserves it. They're, you know, they got like camaraderie. But uh, these are people that are going to go home to like families mm. and and expose that to them. And they're going to create a world where it becomes like that, real sick and cold, and um, countless uh, things like this. But I had this panoramic, empathetic uh, view of everybody involved and I could sense all their fears. And I was like, these poor people don't even, you know, they they just signed up for an EMT job. They're coming in getting exposed to this. They're getting conditioned to be okay with human mangled, you know, mangled human people and stuff. So I'm sitting with the corpse later that night. Now I don't talk to nobody about what I really feel on the inside at this point. I'm just now getting close to this this guy. He he kind of broke through all that. He could see through it, and he tricked me into doing different things. All this the is the guy I'm trying to make that sure sponsor. I yeah, right. That, that that guy that uh, my boy introduced me to. Because now he's writing you in prison. Yeah, he's writing everything. me his long letters, telling me what to read and look into, and and I'm having this weird experience, like actually kind of like one of the better experiences of my life. <laughs> just just making sure I, I yeah. gotta remember: is this the same guy who you were on as futon? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so same yeah, dude. Okay. I had went right. back out. I got my daughter back. Same thing happened again, and she took off with the the mom. Took off with her. I you didn't left. See the, you left the house though. You left the place. Oh you yeah, I got my own and... apartment. Yeah, yeah, I got. Yeah, from there I did pretty good for a little while. That was a uh, that was something that you know I felt like I was cured again. You know, like I was cured of this uh, obsession thing. I had a way to deal with it without using drugs. What I didn't know is I had a fixed idea that was more important than the drugs. So I didn't use the drugs. My idea was be a father, work hard, all this stuff that came with being a good father. So when you have an idea bigger than your your circumstances, you could you could live above them. You can get power yeah. that you didn't have before. It's like a, you know, motivation or drive. Now I didn't know that that's what I was doing at the time, but but I I documented a lot of stuff with my history because I was wondering like how do I do so good and I go down so bad, and it, it was over this coming up with a fixed idea that was not not going to be anything I thought and having expectations of what it was before I got there. All right, so this is clearly a 
major watershed moment for you. But I want to go back because this is your last – this was during your last bid then in yeah, prison. Correct. This is years ago now. Yeah. But I want to go back to right before that because we had kind of skipped in the middle just of like your story timeline. Right. You had been on that guy's futon. You ended up leaving after the whole money thing with the food and all that. Right. You said you got your daughter back. Correct. Right? So she was in your life. And how old was she at the time? At that time, she was about six. Wait. What was that? 2005. Wait. Yeah. 2005, 2006. So she was about seven, eight. Okay. So you had her back, and then she was taken from you. Yep. And that... How much longer later was that when she was taken? Like, how long um, was she in your life? I had her for a few months, and then, you know, one day I came home from work. I used to take her to the Gulf and throw her around in the Gulf, and, we're you know, working all the time. I had two apartments, one for her mother and one for myself, because her mother still was, uh, you know, doing stuff at the time. And I, I couldn't afford that, and plus I wanted to be a father. So I, um, you know, I was just doing everything I could. I thought I was doing everything right. But uh, one day I came home and they weren't, they were gone. So I just, um, you know, my, my friend who brought me into doing good uh, decided to go and, and start trafficking again. He thought he can do it because he was so clean and everything else. It didn't make any sense to me at the time. And I didn't know what to tell him. I just said, eh, I don't think that's a good idea. But then when my daughter left, I went right back to hanging with him and, and we went, um, on another, you know, maybe a couple years before, maybe a year or two, yeah, about, no, not even, maybe about, uh, let me see what year that was. Not too long did I go off the deep end and then it was all blur. You know, I remember trying to detox him again. He couldn't get clean again. I couldn't get clean again. And you were selling. And I was, yeah. Well, at that time, I, I didn't like, uh, I didn't like drug dealers, and I thought I'm not selling drugs because I, I knew I knew what it was doing to people from being in recovery. So I went to robbing, you know, just robbing drug dealers just and doing all the drugs. Yeah, and then my my father at the time told me, he's like, "Hey, if you want to get off that, you know, heroin, uh, I know people from back when he was in the service. He said they do this methadone, and we'll go to the doctor and get you the methadone. You'll be fine." Oh shit. Yeah. So, so that's how that happened. Yeah. So me and him were, you know, going to these doctors and the doctors were just handing out at that time there was the big, you know, whatever. And uh I had enough messed up with me and he had enough messed up with him where we were each getting bottles of three hundred four forty milligram uh methadone wafers a month. And I'm eating all of them. Like I'm eating like twenty a day to start out. You know, and then I'm doing, you know, Coke and Xanax. I'm just trying to kill this hurt inside of me. I didn't know it at the time, but I just, there wasn't enough. And I'm doing, you know, crazier than I've ever been. And uh, so I I end up getting, uh, I end up getting caught, uh, you know, just a simple possession i had um i was getting pulled over i threw a couple guns out the window <laughs> luckily they didn't see it you know and then uh you know by the time they caught me there was something in the back i didn't you know it was like one pill in my sock and and the judge was trying to give me like life in prison as a career criminal for just possession yeah for simple possession and uh and i told the judge i was uh, you know I, I stayed out on bond for a while and right before i turned myself in to go to that court date i knew i was gonna take a 
take a plea if they would give me one. So that night before, I'm watching this like Hallmark commercial of a guy and his daughter, and I'm like, I should be feeling something. I can't feel anything. I got. Were you no- still using? Uh, yeah. Well, I was on all that methadone. Yeah, I was using. Yeah. I wasn't getting high anymore, but I was using still, just physically addicted. And so the night before I turned myself in, I got this like I'm like the Walking Dead. You know, I was like, I'm going to court tomorrow. I'm eating all this methadone. Nothing's, you know, I'm shooting coke. Nothing's. I'm not getting a, 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 you know, nothing. I'm not getting any feelings. So I go into court the next day, and I'm kind of defeated anyway. And I'm like, I was like, I told my lawyer, I said, tell him I'll take two years right now if he wants to give it to me. For one pill that I had a script for, it was out of the bottle. It was in my sock. Now, granted, I had, you know, had a couple of guns. I got away with stuff. So I was like, you know what, I'll take two years. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the judge is like, why am I not giving him life right now? What is it? How was he getting the life? I don't... Uh, well, they got a thing down there called <clears throat> career criminal, and I already I did three bids, and uh, they were just tired of me. They deemed me incorrigible, like I said. They said that right then. Yeah, this this sentence. He was like, this guy, you know, he's incorrigible. He, you know, and the DOC too. They deemed me incorrigible. That's why they sent me to the only prison in Florida, not a correctional facility. So, for people who don't understand, incorrigible is. Quite literally means not correctable. Yeah, not correctable. And so is that also like a physical stature thing? Because you're also like a huge guy and they're like, oh, he's got an aggressive history. So he'll beat the shit out of anyone or maybe kill somebody. Yeah, they they had all that. All the ingredients of why I should never be in society. And statistically, I should have never been out more than a week, according to them. You know, so, so, you know, at this point, I'm, you know, 31 felonies deep. You know, they're pretty much done with me and, um. They're trying to, so I told the judge, I said, look, I'll take two years right now. Or I said, oh, we can go to trial and I'll beat this and I'll just wreak havoc. You know what I mean? You I'm said not, that. Yeah. I said, I'm not giving you an ultimatum. I said, that's exactly what's going to happen if I don't go lay down for a while. Because you were addicted. Yeah. I was addicted to this methadone. He goes, so you're high right now? And I said, no, nah, I ain't been high in a long time. I said, I'm using, uh, but do I look high to you? And I said, I'm talking to you. I said, I'm not high. I'm I'm just done. I want to go lay down. You know, what did he say? The judge, he turned a little red. We called him uh, Heartless Heart. <laughs> but he's like, two years. And he yells, you know, and he's all frustrated. Gives me two years. I go to jail that day, and I start kicking. And uh, it's right around uh, December 6th of 2006. And um, so I, I end up in the hospital no, it was December 16th or something like that, right before Christmas. I ended up in the hospital. They took me to the hospital on Christmas Eve, was there through Christmas, and then on New Year's Eve, there through New Year's. This is what you were talking about going back and forth right. earlier. Yeah, because right. I guess my kidneys, and, and, and I was having seizures for the first time, and, uh, you know, Xanax or, or uh, some, I don't know what it was, a combination of things. But... um. So anyway, I, they end up shipping me right out to prison in Miami and then to uh, Rayford up in, um, you know, up in North Florida. And what's the difference? You said this is the only This is state the only prison? prison, state prison. Yeah, this is where they send people that correction is not deemed necessary in their case. They, they're just, they're not going to be corrected. And it's not, here's what I'm confused about, though. Right. They don't just send... Because you went there, you had a two-year sentence. You didn't have a life sentence or something. I had a two-year sentence. Well, at that time, they had allowed for workers to go there. So I had a small enough charge, but a most uh, horrendous enough record. 
to uh, justify putting me there. You know what I mean? Got it. And they made me a medical orderly where I, you know, if guys tried to kill themselves or I would take them and go get them. I didn't mess with the people being executed. They have nothing to do with them, but they made prisoners. Uh, maybe I should know this, but they made they gave you like that kind of responsibility. Yeah, they don't want to do it. Yeah, nobody wants to pick up a body. Or I, I picked up a guy one time, broke his neck trying to hang himself. He started blowing up. I didn't want to deal with him. Dead bodies are fine, but when they're almost dead or looking at you like you could save them and you're wheeling them down the mile there, it's it's not a good good look. Yeah. Yeah, the first thing they did was cut his throat and stick things down his throat. I was like, man, this is above my pay grade, you know. And, uh, Damn. Yeah, so, you know, I've seen a lot of crazy things like that, and I was just, um, I was reflecting on that, you know, while I was in there, I was kind of like still not living, but observing, you know what I mean? And then I started observing without judgment. I'm like, and this what? is where that moment came in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of those epiphanies was that empathy. Right. The second thing was there was certain guys there that were waiting to be executed, knew they were going to die, and they had this piece about them that was beyond anything I'd ever seen. Yeah, it was almost like an aura. I was like, man, how are these people so peaceful? Cause Everybody this... says they're scared of dying, they're not scared of dying. But I know a lot of guys that said that. And when it gets to that point, they're terrified. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But but there's a lot of tough guys out there that act like they're they're not scared. And then you find out they're they're really terrified. I think it's also the scheduling of it. Yeah, like knowing the it's exact weird. date. Yeah, and some of these guys have been there waiting and they knew it was time. But the interesting thing was, I, because of the guy writing me the letters, I was, I was observing. I was like, this is kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like, these guys got this piece about them. What's going on with them? And because of their predicament, they didn't really talk to guys like me that were going down, uh, you know, going back out in two years or whatever. So somehow... I've always psychopaths. I've always opened up to me, I guess. <laughs> so they just start, you know, we start, you know, and plus I can hand stuff from cell to cell. I said, no drugs, you know, if you need this or that, I, I got you, but don't put no drugs in there. And, um, and most of them respected that. And the ones that didn't, other people handled it. So I, uh, I used to tell them, Hey, look, I ain't got a life or death sentence. I leave here, you know, respect what I'm doing and I'll do the same. No shooting blood at me, you know, they shoot blood at the guards, they cut themselves or whatever. None of that, you know what I mean? Or you won't get nothing, you know, and I and I did. I, I went without, it was pretty cool. I got to meet some uh, wild people. Um, like who? Uh, well, there was, there was people, one guy ate his parents back in the 70s or 60s. He'd been ate down. his parents? Yeah, he was a cannibal. He actually got released in 2012. No way. Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't on death row. He was on death row. He was sentenced to life, but he outlived their life sentence. Like a life sentence is not always life. It's 25 years. And they no gave place. him parole. <laughs> yeah. He hit his yeah. parents and they gave him parole. Yeah, I was nice to Don't say guy. this isn't a country of second chances. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's going to do too well. Like not too long. I was a medical early. One time he took his dentures, pulled a chunk of calf out and ate it. His no. own calf. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How long had he been in there? He'd been in there quite a while. Jesus I don't even like Christ. talking about the guy if he's out walking around. I don't... Oh, my God. <laughs> Almost showing up at my house with a fork in the night. Yeah, you, but, uh, you're a big steak, too. Yeah, Fuck. yeah, yeah. He's looking at me like... But uh, I actually stopped a woman from getting eaten by him or whatever he does to people because she was disrespectful to him. And I said, look, lady, I said, I know you're new here. You really shouldn't talk to people that ain't got nothing to lose like that. 
and she was kind of rude to him, you know. And he had a, you know, he had a little shank and stuff. They so. didn't have the whole Hannibal Lecter thing on him like that. No, not when he was in there getting the, because the way I met him and started, you know, kind of talking to him was uh, I ran these uh, Betadine baths, and then they bring them in all, you know, like Silence of the Lambs up, and then they release all that so he could take these baths because his calf. He couldn't have that getting infected down there. Funny thing about death row is if you're on a waiting list for a liver or a kidney, you get first priority over everyone else. Like regular people. Yeah, because they're not gonna kill you <laughs> until you're healthy. Yeah. They if you got cancer, they give you the treatment, you know, they get you nice and healthy for your execution. So, That's one of the most fucked up things. Uh, it, yeah, it goes back to that thing I told you. I think they bought into that. You could tell a society by the way it treats its prisoners. And I, they buy into it in some senses, but then there's always people that are doing really heinous things. So I got to know these guys, and the ones that I found that had this piece were calling their, their loved ones and saying, don't worry about me. Uh, let's talk about my niece. Let's talk about this and that. And so they had got outside of themselves. They like uh, transcended even their execution. And I was, I thought that was interesting because the guy that was sending me these letters and having me read these books, they said that most of the problems is caused from a self-absorbed uh, becoming aware, you know, going back to the Bible, like who told you you were naked? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like it was like a, who told you to be aware of yourself? Well, we've taken it, our society's taken that to a whole nother level. Selfies, you know, all that. But the, but these guys knew uh, th they had surrendered and accepted their death, and then they looked to be helpful. Now, that's something I identified with. A couple times I was facing life for different things. Some I did, some I kind of did. Some were blown up out of proportion. But, oh, so you were in court other times? Oh, yeah, a lot of times, yeah. But walk. they, you always walked free. Yeah, yeah, basically. If you just sit quietly, uh, pre people pretty much, they don't really do good police work. Or, I'm not going to knock them, but what they do is they try to get somebody to snitch. If nobody snitches, which I never right. had a co-defendant, like yeah. I didn't keep a co-defendant. So if you just be quiet long enough, eventually they come down. And if it's doable, fine. But they would come to me with like life plus five. I'd be like, all right, well, I didn't kill anybody, so I'm gonna go ahead and pass that one. <laughs> and then I would, you know, I would look to. Uh, I love the plus five. Yeah, stuff, yeah, so plus like, five. Yeah. Person, yeah. you know what? Plus seven. Yeah, plus, plus seven. seven. They should have gave Lurch that that cannibal plus something because, well, again, he's out, so I don't want to talk about him. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, going back to these people that I picked up, I detected a uh, sense of peace that I didn't even know I was attracted to. And I didn't know that's what I was looking for from this obsession with the drugs, with, you know, getting this, getting that, uh, acquiring money or all these things. When I had a goal and I got to it, I was ready to blow my head off because I was like, this ain't the answer. And um, so I pretty much sought out everything except for what was right in front of my face to just be myself. You know, really look at things honestly, ask my close people what do they think to open up my mind, you know, to allowing somebody into my thought processes, why I act like this. Cause I used to play, I used to like it when people said I was crazy or whatever, cause they left me alone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I didn't have to deal with them. You know, yeah, I'm crazy. <laughs> but I, I really thought I knew what I was doing. But in the meantime, I was practicing so many insane things that went against my 
grain that I, I suffered from derangement. I upset the working order of my mind. And now I am, you know, kind of insane because I don't even know when I'm doing something. I kind of know, right. but it's like, yeah, that's not important. What's important here is that we don't deal with that, you know? And, yeah. And so just a totally um, compounded ignorance, I heard one guy call it one time. I didn't know what I didn't know. I lost uh, touch with all reality. Were you living... Because you said like you were at that state prison and you were an orderly on death row. You weren't living on death row, though. Yeah, I lived. Well, no, not on death row with the inmates. Yeah. I, we had a, it was all, there was three prisons. There was um, uh, New River East. There was Union. And there was Rayford. I was in Rayford. They they committed people to death here. And then in Union, they did the same. But there was fences separating us. It's like a triangle. Got it. Yeah, I took uh, I took a friend of mine to see the place one time, and and it's a very gloomy place. And it's a nice, nice uh, resort attraction over there, Mark. <laughs> yeah. So Mark doesn't look like the type of guy who's going to be visiting anytime soon. So, yeah, no, yeah. 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 So he. Uh, so you know, I took him there because it was a, a place of no hope, but it was the first time I got hope in my life. I was like, if these guys know when they're going to die started talking about these things and what they said was two things there was two themes not exactly the same words but the ideas i got from them my interpretation of it was the only thing you think about over and over again when it's time to die is how you treated others how you treated yourself did you live to your potential did you help anybody else live to theirs those play over and over in your head and you mm -hmm. will go insane and feel like you're in a personal hell if you don't come to terms with that and if you have even a day to do something about it. You get to work on it. And these guys had years after their sentence to be waiting to die. They have to be, they have to go through appeals, you know, if they fight it. But in the midst of that, they came to terms with their, their, how they treated every single person, why they did it, you know, what was going on, finding surrender, acceptance, honesty, open-mindedness, willingness, humility, finding these principles that gave them a place to rest inside inside themselves so it didn't matter if they're in super max or you know on death row or whatever mm. so this was a place i got to be in so much because i stayed pretty much in the medical office and on death row and then when i wanted to go to sleep i went to a little you know we had about a 40 40 guy no maybe 200 guys i don't know two bunks all the way around probably 150 guys in one little bay that uh did all the jobs of the prison like I said, I wasn't in the there workers. for killing. Yeah, yeah the workers. Yeah. Keep the place going. But I got to spend most of my time where the other guys didn't, was being a medical early and nobody wanting to touch dead bodies or nothing. I didn't seem to have a problem with it. But it was a good job. They brought me in. I had my first fried turkey there. Yeah, it looked out for me. A bunch of big... Touch big, a couple bodies, yeah, have a fried yeah. turkey. We're all good. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing is, governor at the time came through there and all these fat... Is that Bush? Uh, no, at the time it was no the governor. It was um, not Bush, but uh, Chris, Chris. No, not Chris. Christie, maybe. No, Christie was Jersey. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. It was. Hold on, I'll remember his name. It was. Was it? This no. is like 06, 07, right? Yeah. This so has got to be Bush. Bush. Okay, yeah, so it's got to be Jeff. I didn't know. I like I said, I know nothing about politics. <laughs> all I know is they locked us all down. This big shot comes through, sees all these inmates all jacked up. And sees these guards like belts, like their bellies are over their belts. And he goes, All right, 
take all the weights out of the area. <laughs> Instead of teaching these guys how to go on a diet and work out, they just trying to make the inmates fatter. Yeah. And I was, I thought that was I was like that's politics. That's why I don't I don't try to understand it or even look at it because it's it's ridiculous their their uh, solutions. You know, instead of getting these guys healthy, you know, ah, nah, you know, we ain't gonna do that. We're just gonna take the weights out, and they did. They took our weights out. I feel like it's all politics, and this is just a great example mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, you're talking about other human beings, regardless right. of where they're at and what they've done. Right. It's like it's all about checking a box to solve a problem in your head that you can then speak to from a stump somewhere and be yeah. like, there was an average weight of blank in yeah. the prison, and the average. Yeah. The amount that someone could bench was blank, and now it's not, and our guards are looking good. Like, yeah, yeah. You assume, like, it's not like, statistics well, right. why is that guy here? Right. First of all, why is that guy a guard over there? Right. Like, maybe he should do some fucking push-ups. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, there's no, there's no, like, sitting down and having a conversation. I'm right. sure some guys do that, but obviously right. he didn't. Yeah, the majority of, uh, you know, that, and I'm sure there's people that mean well and try to do it for the right reasons, but... They get discounted quickly by, they want numbers. They want, yes. you know, let's get this different. And um, so, yeah, he came through and then, you know, but but what I learned from those guys was they, they, they got out of themselves. They became unaware of themselves anymore and working towards something else. And what they did was they transcended even the fear of death. Mm. Like truly, like they weren't, they didn't not care about death and they didn't care about death. They just, that's just that. And they're fine with it. So they, they did what some smart philosophical people say, you know, you should contemplate your death pretty regularly so you're not such a, a nuisance, basically, when you're going to die. Yeah, <laughs> to no, everybody you, around you yeah. all freaked out. Like, dude, you knew this for almost 100 years now. Come on. You know, but, but I get it. It's still a very, you know, fearful thing. But these guys did in a very short amount of time, within one to three years, under the worst, maybe the best circumstances, no stimuli, no extracurricular, nothing to, you know, no pretense. Alone with their thoughts. Alone with their thoughts. And they worked them out because they had to. Were there any guys in there you thought were innocent? Uh, that I thought were innocent. Or that Everybody told you claims they were to be. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of guys that claim to be. Um, it's not really talked about too much because there's a lot of snitching going on. Uh, if, you get a, if you get a guy, they had a guy in there that buried a little girl alive. Oh, and, Jesus. Um, yeah, horrible, horrible uh, human being. But they used to light him on fire at least once a week and then put him out. You know, they'd squirt this stuff and light him on fire. And the guards him. would? Uh, other inmates. But other inmates. All condoned. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I should probably talk about that stuff too much. But, yeah, they would, they would torture this guy. So it gave him recreation. It was a recreation of sorts. Like, this guy is the devil, you know, this guy, uh, and no doubt that guy, you know, I, I personally uh, question marked his nose and, you know, you as soon as he walked, marked his nose? like, just crushed all this, you know, hit him, uh. tipped the cameras up and hit him and because he smirked at me when he came in there. And uh, that was right in the beginning, kind of, when I first got the job there. And that's basically what kept me good with that job because they knew I, I was in there. Of course, I'm a criminal. I'm not that kind of criminal. You know what I mean? There was degrees of uh, people. And, and when they told me this guy's story, I got sick to my stomach. I felt the right way I should feel. Yeah. I acted out of out of uh, maybe, I don't know, uh, some self-righteousness. It wasn't a good place where I was coming from um, because it's already been done. He's already being sentenced to death. 
he's going to get lit on fire. <laughs> there was like things coming in that guy's future. I just got so uh, confused. You know, I hit him. Yeah. But I had enough sense to tip the camera up so they didn't catch me on camera. <laughs> and they wouldn't have cared. No, nah, they wouldn't have cared, but it, they got to stick to some sort yeah. of rules. We don't see it. We don't ask, don't tell. Right. Everybody kind of turned around right when I did it. But anyway, this guy, so he comes in. Now they have a target of why they feel the way they feel. Not mm. owning their own stuff. This guy. This He's guy the worst. is bad. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to attack him. So that keeps a lot of people from doing what these other guys do. Now, these other guys, uh, they don't participate in the knowledge of what that guy's coming in for. They don't even, it's like gossip to them. They don't want to know. They're fixed on their uh, being about their families, their last days. They got a very strong sense of minding their own business. You know, so there's a mix. There's a mix, yeah. And then there was these other guys that used to eat their own poop and try to kill themselves and cut themselves, and I have to go in and clean up and get them and... Well, not get them, but clean up afterwards. So I wear these big, you know, hazard things. And uh, these guys were on the phone with people from their family. Like, you don't care about me? Still being selfish, self-centered. You know, granted, they're in a, a bad predicament. You know what I mean? They're they're waiting to die, too. But these other guys who, who said, you know what? I probably deserve it. And this is where I discovered every time in the past why I got out of stuff. It wasn't because of my thinking <laughs> yeah it was my thinking was so stupid it wasn't even funny but it wasn't nothing i did it was a little simple procedure of i surrender i accept that i i probably deserve this i'm gonna stay on as open mind and willing but how i'm gonna do that is i'm gonna be quiet and, I, and i'm gonna stay humble yeah you know i'm not contesting this nor am i uh admitting it it know? sounds like you kind of took that step to doing that though right in court yeah, right in court. Yeah, yeah. it's like you kind of, even before you got in there, that was your, whether it was like watching the Hallmark commercial the night before. Right. Like whatever the little thing was, you were just like, this is fucked up. I'm just defeated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm in a state of surrender. But what I did, though, is by writing that stuff down, I caught it. I was a very slow learner. But when something clicks, I put it in all, like I integrate it. I, once I, I know it works, I use it everywhere until it's part of me. And and what I noticed was the theme. I was like, how did I get out of that, that, and that? How is this happening? How come every time I surrender, it gets better, and then the minute I start rebelling, it goes bad mm. for me? And there's this, like, little voice inside of you that tells you you shouldn't go out tonight. And I've, I heard that a thousand times. Like, it always told me the right thing to do. Like, yeah, I hear you. We're going to do this, and then we'll figure it out later. And yeah. I'd be in there going, God, why didn't I listen to myself? And, and it ain't me. But uh, but there, I think this is in everybody. It's kind of like a maybe it's self preservation. Maybe it's God. Who knows? But the uh, but it's there. And now I I've learned to nurture that and to hear that more clearly. And it bring it brought me here, meeting you, which you know it's a gift to come up and and just meet somebody off the off the fly like that. And then and then um, you know it's it's just a that happens to me all the time. Like that's how I live now. That only started happening a few years back when I started uh, getting the concept of my worth. I hang out with sometimes, some people own tons of stuff. Some people own nothing. They live on the streets. I got friends and all from yeah, everywhere. from all, clear. Yeah. And, and they're all just as meaningful. Not that I hang out with all of them. Some of them I do, some of them I don't. It has nothing to do with their status in right. life. It has to do with whether they're sincere 
authentic people today because that could change any time. I had uh, my guy Charlie in here last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was, and he had been a prison guard actually on death row Oh wow! in Nebraska for okay. I think like 10 years or something like that back in the day. And he had a lot of interesting takes there that I, I really got to review myself again because it was all over the place. I mean that in a good way. Like hmm. he had a lot of different takeaways about life and similarly to the way you're looking at things. But he made a point where he was like, I think he asked me first, he goes, what's the most important thing in your life? Like to survive or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I said, my health. And he goes, I disagree. And I'm like, why? And he goes, it's freedom. I said, why freedom? And he goes, because I can't tell you how many people I met who would have given terminal cancer just to live one day where they got to make the decision of where it was yeah. because they were forced to be somewhere else. And so like, I guess my question for you is, was there, there obviously was a major turn here that happened right before that, that last bid. But when you're in there looking at all these guys who are on death row, they're never going to get out. Or even the guys in there who are in there for life or whatever, yeah. did crazy shit. You seem to have stayed above it and taken even some of their stories with you as right. like an example. But it sounds like you were finally ready to be free. Not just free of like walls of a prison, but yeah. like free of drugs, free of worrying about, you know, my status with everyone else, right. free of being concerned about who does what in the world, as you just laid out, like right. everyone else, like, you know, where their ranking is, free right. of all these thoughts that it was like, you used to live by this, I do this with these people at this time because that's what it is, and if I don't, it's fucked up. Right. Now you're like, whatever, man. If I'm free on the outside and, and living and being good to people, that that's that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah, you get to go anywhere, do anything, and it's fun. When you're not, you know, um, like there's not a driving force controlling you. So when this, um, when the guard that you were talking to was talking about how you would give anything, like I remember looking out the window in South Florida and it's a dirty closed screen, but just to be able to see a, you know, something, something that nobody could see right now, like a, a plane flying by or something, you know, <clears throat> it was, um, it was almost spiritual in nature. You know what I mean? A cool breeze coming through the window. There's no AC in Florida. <laughs> so yeah, cool breeze coming through the window and looking out at a sky, a night sky. I love looking at night skies. I was in prison long before the walls went up. I was in prison in my mind. I couldn't leave my mind. Like that's what it became. I lived in my head so long that I couldn't get out. And, uh, and even now I have to go through a process. I need a I need to pray. I need to do all. I need to do a million things. It, not so much now. It's become more of a nature. But at first, there was like a fifty-point checklist to just get like a breath of being, just being, you know. And this is a gift that I was given a long time ago, due to fear, due to using my brain my for the wrong things. I uh, I made it something unachievable to be a human being. Mm. I always had to be go go go. You know, don't stop. You're building some and know what I was doing. And uh but I was I was putting a lot of effort into it. I spent a whole career of I didn't think money was the answer. I thought the people that could take the money was the answer. Mm. So you know yeah. what I mean? Because it didn't matter to me how much money you had if somebody could just come and 
snatch you up street, you know? street justice thing yeah, yeah yeah and if you had that kind of power and i kind of digested that at an early age too that power was more important than uh a monetary you know a symbol of of energy it's but, a loaded word power well, yeah power yeah so yeah. it's a it can mean a million things but it comes back to the same result no matter right. what it for me it was a surefire way of getting deranged because i thought it was power to control what feelings i'm gonna feel and not have the ones I didn't like. Now, I didn't know that's what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, but I was setting a world around. So there's a guy, uh, you know, David Goggins? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's a, yeah, he's awesome. I was sitting, I was sitting on that floor. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, let, let this is my this. life. Yeah. This is my life right here. Yeah, yeah. I had a time when I OD'd, and I was dead for a couple minutes. And uh, this When was this? Oh, this is uh, one of the Miami times. Um, I got airlifted to a hospital in Coral Gables, I think. And uh, this doctor brought me back. And the first thing I said, because I had such a peaceful experience, first thing I said was like, who ripped my shirt? <laughs> and I had like bullets falling out of my pocket. And and I, and I was like, what's that noise? And he's like, looks like bullets. I said, well, they ain't mine. He goes, well, they ain't mine. <laughs> he goes, so, and I was like, uh, doctor's do I... kicking them away. Like, <laughs> yeah, just, uh, yeah, yeah, it's all good. It was a nice place. They were very nice to me. He's like, I just saved your life. Can you forgive me for the shirt? I was like, yeah, no problem, doc. And, um, but I had this experience where I wanted to go back because it was like something euphoric. It was peace. I didn't know it at the time, but I had this, you know, out of body experience with lights and all that. And, um, did you see anything? Well, everybody was a globe of light. I don't know if it was space, but it kind of looked like that. And I started getting real worried about where my mom was and it, and something came over me. Were you anywhere? Like, were you in a place or I was just, so I was stuff. floating out with no body. So I was floating out with nobody. I'd been dead two minutes, some um, thirty-seven seconds at the time, total of like three minutes, and wow. then bring me back. And yeah, Doc said, uh, usually you have like some form of retardation. I'm not saying that's not the case for you, but <laughs> I think you're all right. You know, I would have yeah. said that in court. Yeah, like, yeah I'd yeah. have been like, technically, technically, I I'm might be yeah, retarded. I'm a little off. Yeah. <laughs> So when I had this experience, though, it hit me later in life when somebody said, God doesn't talk to you in your head. He reveals things to you. Mm. That's when you get this revelation that, oh, man, you know, I didn't see it that way. And you start seeing something totally different. I had that. I had a revelation that, and I put words to it to explain it sometimes when I would, people would ask me what happened. I would say, oh, I heard this voice. But that's not the truth. I didn't know the truth at the time. I just didn't know how to explain. I I heard it, but it wasn't a voice. You saw it. You saw, but you. I revealed. Yeah, it was revealed that. to me that everybody's connected. That the the only thing I suffered from was the illusion of disconnection from others, and that didn't make no sense at the time. But I had a lot of peace. But since I've grown into that knowledge, mm. or revelation, because it's not my knowledge, it's not something I knew. It was just it's an something experience. That, yeah, it was an experience that I had that I, I never even thought really much about other than I liked that piece. And, so you uh, didn't, at the time, you didn't really, because you didn't reflect on anything. You just kind of did. Yeah. And so then later you're like, well, wait a second. Let's think about that. Yeah, way later. Because yeah. right after I left that hospital, I had a friend of mine. He dressed up a nurse <laughs> and to get me out of there. We came up with this plan. I could have just walked out. The doctor, so my boy, he's a big trafficker. He's doing 28 years right now, but um he 
comes with this nurse that he took to a Halloween shop, put the Halloween nurse. She's got this skirt and, and uh, she comes in with a wheelchair. She's like, he's uh. like, I'm Dr. Pex. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm here to take this patient. They're like, okay, whatever, you know? And, uh, and I'm like, uh. wow, that's a really good plan. The girl could barely push me. She's in high heels. She's got like titty pasties on. <laughs> <laughs> it was so hilarious. I'm, I go out of the hospital and he's got a limo. My girl at the time, my daughter's mother, is in a car in front of us. She starts going down on me, and I'm like, oh, Lord. Uh, my girl's right there. I said, take me to the Hyatt. That's where I left this stuff. I had buried my gun and my uh, drugs that I OD'd on under these plants on a balcony in the Hyatt. In the Hyatt Hotel. Yeah, and this stuff just killed under me. Under the plants. Under the plants. I kind of dug them up a little and just kind of put it on Like there. in the was, lobby? No, no, up in my room. My, oh, yeah, okay. so I had to get back there. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, juvenile and... Um, juvenile and... Uh, Somebody was performing around there, and they were in the oh, lobby. Juvenile, what a throwback! Yeah, back then, holy yeah. shit! Yeah. So I was over there doing some crazy stuff. I needed to get that gun back, and I had those drugs that I just—I was like, I came out of that bathroom. I was like, I did too much, and that's all I remember. My girl uh, started calling, saying her dad was a governor. He better save him. They got me to this hospital, private. I didn't get arrested. So I get back to—I said, take me back to that hotel. So the the my kid's mother at the time she's like where are we going i was like i gotta go back there i can't have that gun out you know running around so i said we gotta go back there and uh, <laughs> go right up in there and do the same stuff that just killed me and i come back down and i told her i said go back to naples i'm gonna stay in miami with dr Peck <laughs> and this nurse yeah oh it was it was crazy i forget why i brought that up but we were talking about the experience that you had and how you got right out of it and didn't think about it. Didn't think about yeah. it. Yeah. So when this guard was talking about how if you can get one minute of freedom, it's you crave that. You built that idea. But that's not really what it is because if freedom was achievable for the guys that were waiting to die that weren't leaving their cell, freedom is achievable now, here, in this present moment. It is never anywhere else. So even though they painted that picture, convinced that guy that that's all they needed, they'd still be in prison when they left there. I was still in prison when I left prison. Mm. Yeah, because I couldn't get that that gratitude for that moment. Whereas in that in that place, I all I had to see was a touch of life. And I was so grateful. And I was in the moment. And that's when I realized it was an inside job all along. It was an inside job all along. It had nothing to do with my outside, you know, the exterior. That was actually a manifestation of what I was living. When you say... Can you explain that? Yeah, so I'm in this cell. All I need is a, a bird, a sign of some kind of life. With this cool breeze hitting me, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. Mm. And, I, and that's freedom. That's kind of like freedom. When you, see, when, you, when you line up with it and you're in the moment, you get to experience it, that was freedom for me. I, mm. over, I, over, I overshot it. So I would get out and I, oh, let's go get a drink. Let's do girls. Let's do all these things. Just chipping away at my freedom. It's never anywhere else. It's not something else. It leads to crime and drugs and all that always. Oh, yeah, that, that leads. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, the thing that leads to all that is the, the, the search for what's already right here. Like right here, right now with you, most important time in my life. When I get to the next moment, most important time in my life. Presence. The presence. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's where that's where life is. Everything else is just in the head. Uh, the one doctor 
that uh, my friend turned me on to. He says, um, the memory should only be used to recall what doesn't work and not do that. You know what I mean? That's like kind of how you survive. But we use our memory for all this stuff. And then we got pictures replaying uh, realities that are gone. They're not reality no more. So so you get... you saying not even to look at that. Don't even... Yeah. Like, I try not to pay attention to it all. Just recently, because of uh, you, actually, I got back on Instagram because I wanted to, you know, sign up. Yeah, because you. Yeah, that. it's your fault. <laughs> no, but it's funny how I did that for a good reason. Next thing you know, I'm looking at this thing too long. I'm sitting on the toilet. Yeah. You know, we start going through all the, oh, this is interesting. And I end up two <laughs> hours on the toilet with hemorrhoids. <laughs> so I... I uh, I thought to myself, I was like, damn, I really like being connected and this is the way people connect. Mm. I said, you know what? I don't need I don't need to be on this thing. So I, I practiced some self-control and I left it alone. But there was a time when I had the Facebook that my my little nephew did some skit, my little uh, twelve year old nephew with another twelve year old and they did a skit on this TikTok and then they sent me the thing and I had to get the thing to look at the thing. And, <laughs> and then you're on TikTok. Yeah, now I'm on TikTok. And I was like, and now I'm hooked on TikTok. It was like one after another, dogs doing funny shit. I could watch that all day. <laughs> yeah, I got dogs doing dog things on my Instagram. I got very limited uh, technological, um, you know, prowess or whatever. But the, <clears throat> I forget again where I was at. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about presence. You were saying presence. like seeing a bird outside, right. the smallest, like that. You, Just you said really compelling. Experience. That was freedom. freedom. Like that moment was freedom. Right. I had no idea what that was. I was in South Florida. Again, I was in there. I had this experience. Kid comes in. He's got uh, two life sentences. Young kid, 22, but he was trafficking big weight. He had a cut list. He had a good life. He had a whole family album of all the, you know, hot chick, good life, maybe a kid or two. And he's gone forever. And he was, we were talking and uh, I was coming off of something. I was sick still, but I had some creepy weed. Uh, so we started smoking and, and uh, I remember having an experience of laughing. I hadn't laughed in at that point, probably a long while. There was nothing funny. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Nothing. And, but in the midst of, of smoking this weed and it wasn't just because of the weed, it was because this kid had, uh, a need for how to live now and he had a lot of life in him he's a tough you know kid he had you know he had good heart and everything and i got to let him know how to do time and in the midst of that we were talking and we we cracked a joke about something and it was a real laugh nobody getting hurt just a moment and i was like wow that's weird what was that you know and i felt it it was like a rumbling like a big laugh. And this this is in the state prison, right? This is in a state prison one. down yeah, in Miami, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so I was like, wow, it was like a spiritual awakening. Now, somebody might say that was from uh, smoking a creepy weed, which was definitely probably getting the the self obsession out of the way. But it was a was a it was something I was missing out on. So when I got to, I think it was around that same time I was doing that time, and there was a cool breeze coming through. It was a cooler month or whatever, and um, and I had that little experience. Later on, when I woke up, I realized what that was. You know, I was finally in the moment, just for a second. I used to, I think I liked cells when they were all locked, and it was it was like a secure place for me. Mm. You know what I mean? My, you know, inmates never been a problem for me. You know, they throw people in; they didn't last long. 
but they weren't a problem. Once the whole world was locked and they could only come in one door and I could see them and there's blocks all around me, I could chill for a minute. I could be late at night, not when they're doing all their stupid head counts and stuff, but but uh, late at night when it was peaceful and quiet, you know, I'm looking out that window, I had that experience. That all clicked later on, that living is being in this presence. The memory is only for things that keep me out of the present. You know, don't do those things to remember that. You know, and maybe do some things that keep you in the present better. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like good memories can be a torture or or a or a beautiful thing depending mm -hmm. on your perspective right. so i i don't know if i go that far i i understand why that was such a why that concept though like memories are only for learning from something mm -hmm. was so important for you yeah. because it's like well so many trains went off the track here and it was strictly because i wasn't paying attention at all right. and so now i know where i wasn't paying attention right i don't want to remember some of the shit that person did right so let's not even mess in that let's not even swim in that pool right. and let's focus on the present and the right. future if i were in your shoes i'd probably think the same way yeah it would be nice though one day if you could look back because i mean you had a daughter in this time like yep. th there was some good stuff oh yeah there's always good stuff i yep. mean it's it's a good one when when you tell a story it is technically a memory when you're talking about like you know even like when you picked up those chicks in in georgia yeah. and brought them to florida yeah. like there's still yeah. stuff that shines through if even if you don't realize it or not no 100%. you should be able to look back on that yeah. even if it got you arrested at the end yeah and be, yeah, and be yeah. like oh, you know what there were a couple things yeah, there. Was good like the, you're yeah. living a yeah. little bit you know what i mean good stories to tell in the cell you know <laughs> sure but yeah, like yeah. the the other thing is this the last bid you keep on saying that this is where you found those little moments of freedom and everything i gotta think it's tied to the fact that you were always on the take at every other point that you were in prison before that when you went in at 15 yeah. you had to learn how to survive you had to yeah. learn how to make money you know protect yeah. guys do whatever you get out in life of crime you right. get back in same deal let's get out of here but let's make money before we get out we'll run the prison you talked right. about that whole thing yeah. and this is the first time where you're like you know what yeah i'll i'll cool off i'll be an orderly i'll talk yeah. to these motherfuckers yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. Up. you know yeah. and then you're like oh damn wow i didn't need to like i need to run around here like i run the place i just right. you know it, it is what it is right that I believe that a hundred percent that um I used I abused the memory to fulfill my own wants and needs so yeah. bad that I had to only use it. So when that guy said that, it wasn't too long ago that he said that. I I experienced that because I practiced that to start somewhere. It's like, you know what, the memory's no good for me. I can right. only think about these things. So I knew I was I was my nature was to obsess and fix on an idea. So I gave my brain something to do, an idea like God something i can't figure out something it can always work on add a little more up later on but it gave it something to do while i can be you know what i mean sure so that makes sense yeah and 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 now like like you said um actually my my friends around me bring up things like they'll say sometimes like you do have a good memory or they'll say things like um i had to point out to a friend of mine that he was happy yeah, I, I, I took a picture, and, and he smiled, so I blew his face up, and I sent it to him. I said, do you even know you're happy here? Because he didn't know. Yeah. And he sent me back that he flipped me to bird. He thought I was making fun of him. <laughs> I was saying, no, dude, you, you constantly say how miserable. And then I turned around on myself. I was like, you know what? I say a lot of this stuff that I have to revise. 
You're yeah. ma- you're making my point for, and this is a yeah. good thing. You're making my point for me, and yeah. and maybe you should just keep doing exactly what you're doing because it works for you. It's, it's like working. Yeah, you're more tricking yourself, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah. just to like stay out of your own way of where your mental's taken you in the past. Yeah, that's healthy. It's a I, good description. I think that's fine. Yeah, that's a good description of what I do. I always say that I try to stay out of the way of these principles. I try to stay out of the way of this, you know, higher power uh, that I don't fully understand but i know it works you know what i mean so so i stay out of the way of that and i end up in remarkable situations with remarkable people all the time clearly yeah it's now now it's 15 years past any of this and you so i want to talk about what you ended up doing i mean you own you own a business and everything like it's such a cool story and and i want to hear about that but like how long did it take to even get there like how did that all come together well i came out i came out of prison that last time it was during the the crash, which you, you oh, spoke very good about, yeah, the, the, and the guest you had, very knowledgeable. Um, but the but I came out when there was no jobs, with no no history of working. So I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to go to a homeless shelter. Now my mother was like, No, just come home. And I, I said, I'm, I've been homeless for a while now. I, wow. need, I need to let the outside match the inside. So I went to this homeless shelter, and um, I made my only job. I think this was based in that guy kind of honoring him. So as long as I got that guy and my mom, that sponsor I told you about that yes. started making sense yep, of stuff, yep. he'd been writing me the whole time in prison. So I, I tried to honor what he does. So I made my only job while I was there. Uh, if a guy came in shaking, I was physically fit. I, was, I, was, I came out, I had built my life, you know, built my physical back up and, you know, was sharp. So... I said, I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get to know every single person that comes through the homeless shelter. Mm. And I did that and I started volunteering and then I started working. I didn't care what it was, eight bucks an hour, 10 bucks an hour. I didn't care. So I'll work, you know, and then all of a sudden I started getting calls. I was like, well, I can't do this and that. I said, well, what about this guy? He needs a job. But my only job from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep was to respect the welfare of people especially the ones coming in broke down. I give a pair of socks, something basic they didn't have and meant a lot to them. You know, I would do stuff. I'd go work. You don't need a lot of money to help a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. And I would just show up whether I was doing it for free or doing it for, uh, I used to say I'm on the clock with God. If I get paid money, spiritual money in the bank, whatever. These were all ideas I digested listening to this, uh, this one guy that was really good to me. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I made a 90-day commitment there. And by the time, like, 80, 75 days came, my brother was uh, offering me his place to take over the lease. And I had enough money. I saved up. I went from, like, 8 bucks an hour up to, like, 25 30 an hour. Pretty quick. Yeah, yeah pretty quick. And then, um, and then I got a pretty good job with a guy I was helping. He brought me to this other guy who owned a bunch of stuff. He ended up. Uh, being a big influence, influential guy, like he caught me because uh, I knew sign language from from not like fluently, but you had to talk to people through very little spaces sometimes, yeah. so you'd have to know sign language, and uh, and so he caught me talking sign language to this this lady that was selling these little flags or whatever. She was deaf, and uh, so I was going back and forth with her just because I was curious to see if I could remember any of the stuff I knew. Yeah. And he caught that and he took it on like I was a, you know, like a, 
you know, like a gem or something. <laughs> like a genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> yes. I think that's one of the reasons. And then I, I ran five of his warehouses like it was nothing. All the designers came to me. I started moving furniture. That's the first so you became I, his guy. Yeah, yeah, he liked me a lot. But at a, for a certain amount of time, I seemed to, I seemed to turn into the leader of any place. And he owned his own place. And, and I wasn't trying to do that. I was trying to be his guy and take pressure off of him. And so all these designers started coming to me directly. And he's like, dude, he goes, you want to go in business? He goes, everybody comes to you anyway. He goes, why don't you just, you know, go do your own thing and I'll help you. And I was like, And man. what specifically? Like demolition like, and stuff? No, no. This was the furniture, the moving company. So this was just the moving This started stuff. with just, you know, this guy giving me two trucks to use. Yeah. I started going all over Florida up to New York, you know, moving people. No shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. and all in my free time. I still worked 40 hours a week for him. So I would leave on a Friday, be back by Sunday night. He would like, hey, a ticket came through. It was in Delaware. He goes, what, he goes, what were you doing in Delaware? He goes, I told you you could use the trucks to do local jobs. I was like, ah, oh, you didn't say You're local. running through it 100 I run, miles Yeah, I'm running. <laughs> Wait for the so, camera. Yeah, I just tell him the truth. And he's like, that's what I like about you. One time I lied to him, and he lit up into me. He's like, one thing I hate is a liar. And I, you know, I didn't want him to feel bad because my buddy, I was trying to cover for him. I kind of lied a little to him. First time I ever did it, it was for somebody else. And he lit into me. I was like, dude, I'm sorry. I apologize. He's like, no problem. Just don't do it again. Never did it again. You know, and um, he was just a good, he is a good guy. And to this day, he's always asking how I'm doing. He tells me to come by his stores. And, you know, we do a lot of different How, how many people you have working for you now? Uh, Well, anytime, well, right now I got three that are solid. And then I hire anywhere from, I don't know, it could go through 20 people. Wow. And it's just what they need to get going, put a few bucks in their pocket. Some of them stay, some of them don't. I've had up to 32 guys uh, working for me. That same prison that I went to at first, I had a demolition company too. They paid me to demo that prison, <laughs> which was crazy. You demoed the prison you I were demoed in. the prison for this. Uh, you this... don't do demolition anymore though, do you? Sometimes, yeah. You still it's do? Still, for certain contractors, I kind of like it. So I get a bunch of guys, I get to work, I just kind of make sure it's nobody gets... It's a good gets... business. Yeah. It's good yeah. money. I'm not the best at it. Some people do it a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just you like add it. up the hours for Yeah, I do. I do. I do. I milk it. <laughs> Took your time on that prison. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. In the prison, it was awesome because we were... We were working with these, um, these uh, they're like kind of confidential, very high up in the killing, you know, for the government type stuff. So they were training these um, communication specialists. And uh, so they wouldn't get, when they got overrun, they wouldn't get killed. They were coming down from Canada. But these guys that were training them were serious, dude, really nice people. I got to talking to them sometimes and um, they, uh, they did some some crazy stuff out there uh it's kind of it's kind of low key but i got to look out at a field that i remember looking out at when i was young and it was so surreal like such a weird experience i had so much hope in me and so much good stuff going on of course i'm not in prison or nothing like that but it was something totally different than that it was the same place and I remember, like, eating sandwiches right there, you know, beating that guard up right there. <laughs> you know, all this stuff. The places I was forbidden, they, they they left me to paint the warden's house one day, and I put eggs down in the sockets. Me and my, <laughs> me and my boy had a, a, a mosh pit. And, uh, yeah. Why would the warden let prisoners I, paint his house? What a yeah. dumbass. You get I guess they thought I was scared or something, or I wasn't going to do nothing. I was like, dude, I hate you. At the time, I was like, yeah. It's like having a, yeah. So... 
Yeah, I was a, I was a incorrigible for for a time there. But uh, yeah. I, th- I think you're proof that there is correction. Oh yeah, I think I, yeah. I think I think they should revisit that term for who they give it to. That's I true. think they probably like you know that last time in court, right? Every sign was there that no, maybe maybe something's different here. You right. know, just based on I mean, just read the court record without even being there, right? And you can kind of be like, wait, this is not the same. This is the same guy who's been fighting all these cases, right. and CI doesn't show up and yeah. shit, and he, now suddenly he's like, you know what, just. Just wants to lay down. Send me to jail. Yeah, I just wanted to lay down. I was so defeated. Yeah, and and then uh, the you know the miracles that's happened since then. Like, and it's only been a few years. Like, it took a lot of years of gaining a nature of of not being, just being transparent. Yeah, like I kind of seen those guys that were, you know, waiting to die. That had that piece about them. They only had that because they didn't mind saying what was exactly on their inside without being unkind or. But you yeah. had to grow into that. I had to grow into that. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a, a lot while. of fear. A lot yeah. of fear. Like, what if, you know, I've been doing this my whole life, hiding how I think, what I feel, masking it, masking it, until it almost diminished to nothing. Not even knowing, you know, nothing. Like, people would say, what do you want to do? I, was, I don't know. I have no idea, you know. And then every once in a while, if something caught my attention, I ran it into the ground. You know, if a good chick or anything that felt good. Well, this is the answer, and I'd run it in the ground. I didn't know how to just be, you mm. know? yeah. And then the last few years, I've learned how to do that. Kind of living in, um, my one friend described it as living in, in acceptance, and I guess that's basically what I do. Is nothing needs for me to act right now. I could observe without judgment. I could wait a little bit and see what this is. And if somebody's, if correction has to happen it doesn't have to be by me like mm, they'll, they'll get corrected good. but it yeah. won't be by me and uh and most of the time i'll walk into a scenario and i know it can go either way one thing i used to fear is if you don't give me the answer i want i'm gonna get in trouble because you are gonna do this thing whatever it is now i'm in acceptance of whatever you do i have no expectations i'm just gonna let you know what what i need to say you know, mm. kind of like I need to express this and then leave it alone. And almost all the time now it instantly uh, turns into good stuff. Like, and I don't expect it. It just turns into. That's what happens. Though. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of manage. If you look, and I think this is applicable to anybody, regardless of where you've been or what you've done in your life. If you just kind of, if you go with the flow, but control how you treat the world, and have at least somewhat of a positive attitude on things and you're not just negative all the time, usually over time, better things than not are going to happen. You know, even when it doesn't feel that way. Some, everyone's human. I think most people are, I guess. (laughs) You know, you have a moment where you're like, oh, well, this all blows right now. I do that. But you come out of it when you're not stuck in it because you're, you're at least putting yourself in the position every day where something can improve. Right. And it's like when you come from, I mean, to me, like, being in prison is like the bottom, right? Right, right? Yeah, and and but you got to recognize you're there, right? You know, and for you, it didn't happen when you were 15. It happened. It yeah, happened later. Then yeah. when you have that recognition, everything's up from there. Right. You know, even if it takes time, even if it's you got to re, you almost have to like rebirth yourself yeah, in a way. That's exactly right. Yeah, it can still. Yeah. You just have to go with the flow and let it develop. 
Right. You know? Yeah. My aunt used to call me a late bloomer. <laughs> that was a nice I, way I of think, saying it. I think she's right. Yeah, yeah, late bloomer. That's me. <laughs> do, do you ever do you have a good relationship with your daughter today? Not really right now. Uh, we did, and I made my amends with her. She's 22 now, so I'm pretty much excluded from her individuality. <laughs> so, Fair. yeah, I was, yeah, I'm not the... I didn't do all the things perfect, but I did I did let her know where to come. You know what I mean? For anything, anytime, there's no, you know, and I and I gave her some peace about the past. You know, it wasn't nothing That's to good. do with her. You know what I mean? I wanted to be there all the time and and uh but right now she's going through whatever she's going through, she's not communicating with me for like about a year now, year and a half. And it you know, it's upsetting sometimes. I try to reach out uh reach out to the mother sometime i just sent an email last night because um a good friend of mine said why don't you email her i was like i don't know her email and he's like and i looked up my messages and i have her email like, damn yeah i could have been sent an email <laughs> but she hasn't answered it so it's humbling you know it is what it is i just if there's anything i can do i'll do it but i'm not going to think about it until i can do something you know what i mean and if if i you know if i meditate on it i just want what's best for her you know, I just, I really do. If anything, I can do anything, I will. Um, you know, and eventually she's going to, from everything I heard about um, that age, at about 26 or 27, they start getting out of that and they start thinking for themselves. I think she has a lot of uh, responsibility that's not hers that she's taking on as hers. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't even have to ask what that is. It could be a few different things, but right. I think it's the same thing in the sense that there is something to it when you're 22, 23. It's like you're kind of coming into the world now. Yeah. It's a very weird time. It can be a very fun time, too. Yeah. I had yeah. a lot of great times. She's probably having but you it's know, weird. ample time. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what do I do? Yeah. Like, what's going on with my life? You There's know? All these choices. Yeah. And you never really had a shot to do that. No. Nah, so you don't, nah. you really actually, I, I mean, it's fairly like you can't even speak to that yeah you know yeah you had that you were in survival mode right yeah in a lot of ways she mature more mature than me in a lot of ways like i've come closer to my age now yeah but but in a lot of ways yeah i was kind of emotionally stunted at 15 i mean anyone you went to jail at 15 yeah yeah. you're not gonna be mature (laughs) (laughs) i mean you'd be mature about a few things you've seen some shit yeah yeah but you don't get a chance to really grow up that's why i think I think you're a great example of where the the legal system needs to, ha- and I said this earlier, but needs to have some humanity in it yeah. with with especially like youth offenders. Right. There's usually an enormous cry for help on things or like sometimes you're just a kid and you do something stupid, right. you know? Right, Like that's how it, you turn around, some guy grabs you by the collar. Yeah. It's a natural human reaction. I know it's a cot, you can't do yeah. that, but like- yeah. Yeah, you knock the guy out. Right. Then they all beat the shit out of you after. Yeah, you paid yeah. his hospital bills. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, that's it's wrong with me. But you're sitting here today. I really, really enjoyed talking with you. Same here. I yeah. love your perspective. Thank you for hooking this up, Mark. Yeah. Appreciate it, brother. But Mark's a great guy. I love, I love story. Like I said, I love comeback stories. And your life has been a giant comeback story. And and I think you're the way that the way that you have such a soft view on things like you're you're a very unjudgmental guy you're you're not 
there's nothing about the way you had to be for years that's stuck in you today. And yeah. that's that's a really amazing thing. Yeah, that is. Yeah, it's been a big turnaround. Good people in my life brought it out of me, too. That's it. Yeah, you're that's one it. of them now, too. I appreciate your time here. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been great. Well, thank you for rolling through. And I hope everyone else enjoyed that like I did. Thank you once again, Mark. All right. We'll do it again. Yep. All right. That was good. Everyone else, you know what it is. Give it a thought. Get back to me. Peace. <laughs>